Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. On this very night, ten years ago, along this same stretch of road in a dense fog just like this, I saw the worst accident I ever seen. There was this sound, like a garbage truck dropped off the Empire State Building. And when they finally pulled the driver's body from the twisted burning wreck, it looked like this! Ah! Ah! Yes, sir. The worst podcast I've ever seen. <laughs> That's right. This is, in fact, the worst podcast you've ever seen. Hello, everybody. My name. My name hello, everybody. My name. Hello, everybody. My name. Is Griffin Newman? Uh, hi, I'm David Sims. This is this l- microphone different, Ben? What do you mean? I don't know. It feels different on my nose. It's a different mic. Yeah. yeah. I have your mic. Oh, weird. All right, cool. And David also took your chair today. He did. I all by accident. I didn't mean to do any of this. It's the nice this chair is a, it's for the less engineer. Spongy. Yeah, because I kind of almost rest my nose on the mic, which is a little gross, I guess. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. But, why do you, you think know. he had to replace the mic? No, he's got my... Ah, ah. Mike was lousy with boogers. All right. What a great start to a new miniseries. Hey. Ba-ba! All right. Here's the parade. Oh, New miniseries. New miniseries. Baton twirlers. Confetti cannons. Fireworks. Oh, my God. It's the blank check mascot. Oh, it's Blanky. Hello, everybody. A, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's me, Blanky, or Checky. <laughs> this is new. We have a mascot it's now. It's me, Checky. <laughs> hey, Checky. How are I, you? Welcome. I am here to we've officially never done this bit before, right? christen a new oh, okay. miniseries. <laughs> what does he look like, Chris? He's a little angry Check. He's got a director's megaphone. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. Perfect. Hello, Hello boys. Yeah, it has to be Checky. Oh, Checky has taken out a giant sword and he is tapping it on our shoulders. Guys, kneel. Take a knee. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I hereby christen the beginning of a new miniseries. <laughs> How much are we paying this guy? It's <laughs> 15% of ad revenue. <laughs> what the hell? Was I not here for this negotiation? Let Podward <laughs> scissor cast commence. There you go. That's right. That's right. As as Checky says, so goes the nation. Strap in. Four months, baby. And Checky has left the studio. He will be on every episode from here on out. <laughs> he definitely won't be. We've already recorded some. Checky's big, and we already <laughs> paid Joe Bowen to design Checky. That's true. Yes. We've had we've been sitting on the design for a while. We're building a media empire, baby. <laughs> My name is Griffin Newman. I already said it you four already, times, but I'm going to say it a fifth. David <laughs> This is Blank Check with Griffin and David. A podcast about Checky, a lovable new mascot who's no, sweeping the nation. No, that's not what it's about. It's about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their career, given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby. Just yep. like Checky, buy your Checky rubber bouncing balls. Okay. Available now at Toys R Us. I swear to God, go to any Toys R Us location, and you're going to find they're filled with Checky merchandise. And if your Toys R Us is closed, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Bad luck. Um, this is a miniseries I've been pushing for for a long time. Yeah. You had shown a lot of resistance. Disinterest. That's how I would put it. Right. Uh, you know, I think you categorize it as some Griffin bullshit. <laughs> I think I saw 
the threat of Griffin bullshit. Where this would go. Right. And your complaint was always, it's going to be... This is my actual complaint. Eight or nine movies we both like. Yeah. And then the second half of the miniseries is... It's, me it'll gonna be, be you saying, being like, well, actually. <laughs> and me being like, I, I didn't think it was very good. Making half-hearted defenses. <laughs> I didn't like it. It's actually kind of interesting. Um, but but this is, we're starting in the golden era because this guy hits the ground running. He does. And kind of takes Hollywood by storm in a way that I, I would argue is a little unprecedented. I would argue he's sort of a very unique phenomenon in Hollywood in that he is a comedy director. I think people lose track of that as time goes on because he gets a little lost from the plot. Well, also he made a superhero movie early, which, you know, sort of like different genre. But he's a comedy director who comes out of animation and has a very, very distinctive style. True. And immediately is successful. Is making very personal esoteric films on a big studio level and they work and they're commercial. True. And he is that weird phenomenon where, like, he's this weird boulia bays of all his cultural influences growing up. A lot of weird, pulpy, trashy stuff. Sure. And he made these things very mainstream, even though people didn't have the reference base for the stuff that he grew up on. It, yeah, okay. At which least I, some people didn't. Which I think is, like, a weird phenomenon. Sure. And you compare him within the realm of directors like this to, like, someone like Edgar Wright, where it took, like, five movies for one of his films to be successful. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yeah, I guess so. The fact that, like, Burton, like, hit so quickly. This was, like, a big cult surprise success. In terms of our blank check arc, you are correct. Yes. He, like, got a blank check fast. And everyone kind of went, like, weird oh, I get this thing, this Tim Burton thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a guy I grew up idolizing. Mm-hmm. He's my favorite director. And I've said, I think, in previous uh, miniseries. He's still your favorite director? He was my favorite right, director right, right, right. for a very long time. I said in previous miniseries, I think for a lot of people of our generation, Mm-hmm. People grew up with Tim Burton because he's like he's a, one of the first directors. He's a you starter kit auteur yes, where yes. you're like, I get that these movies are all made by one person. Exactly, it really is that for our generation in I terms think. of theme, in terms of aesthetics, in yeah. terms of sensibility, tone, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Um, and and he comes from a background that I'm obviously fascinated by, which is that he was a CalArts animation guy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You said his name. His name is Timothy Burton. Timothy Walter Burton. The miniseries is called Podward Scissorcast, and buckle in because we're doing all. Buckle in because he made a lot of movies. Now, we're not doing the animated movies uh, on the main feed. Winky, winky. Right. Winky, winky. That's all I'll say about that, winky, I guess. Winky, winky. Yeah. It'll be December, Ben. We'll be, yeah. Okay. <laughs> ben is reluctantly nodding his head. Um. Tim Burton, you know, we often try to give, like, some background on where these directors came from before they got big. But the thing with Tim Burton is, I think everyone knows what Tim Burton's backstory is because it's what you extrapolate from watching his movies. I don't know his backstory except, as you say, right, when it is described to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. He grew up in, like, Burbank. Yeah, from California. (laughs) couldn't connect to. He was a weird, dark kid. Sure. He was obsessed with TV. And, like, stop motion little animation. Made a lot of monster movies in his backyard. Made yep. a lot of stop motion. Uh, my girlfriend, Humblebrag, was saying... Humblebrag? Uh, no, I said it first. Uh, was saying how many short films she was surprised he had made because he has, like, 20 short film credits right. in IMDb. But and he was, was, like, like, a teenager. People have listed every, like, film he made as a kid because I right. knew all those fucking titles because I've read every book on him. It's similar to Spielberg. Because, you know, yes. Spielberg as a kid, teen would make those Super 8 movies and people will, like, talk about them as right. real things. 
the difference is that like Spielberg and those movie brats grew up on like the sort of the school of cinema of like high art cinema. And they talk about like they got into world cinema at a young age, but they also were studying Hitchcock and they were studying well, Howard yeah, John Hawks Ford, and John Ford, exactly. Orson yeah. Wells. And Tim Burton Burton is like sort of like 10, maybe 12 years younger than Spielberg. So, right. There's like a decade removed. So he's like the start of the generation of the people growing up on the movies made by the movie brats to some degree. Before that, though, he has television. That's a huge, very big presence in his house. Probably less so with Spielberg as a kid. I'm sure Spielberg watched TV, but it was like very early TV. With TV, you get an onslaught of non-curated media. Sure, here's a right. ton of shit. Yeah, yeah, And he is, by all accounts, like an omnivore. And it's like he's watching martial arts films and he's watching monster movies and he's watching Roger Cormansley's, you know, genre pictures and he's watching black exploitation films and he's watching old sitcoms. And he sort of feels like a guy who isn't a student of film as much as he's like a student of pop culture. Right. Because you watch like Pee Wee's Big Adventure and like this is a movie about like pop culture. Sure. You know, right. like he's just synthesized all of these things into his being and all his weird hangups and his aesthetic obsessions and all of that makes all these films in his backyard. It's really good visual artist and goes to CalArts to become an animator and is contemporaries with all the Pixar guys His yep. classmates. I mean, there's a class photo you can find of the A113 class where he's there with Brad Bird and John Lasseter putting his hands on everyone's legs and uh, Musker and Clemens and all these guys. Right. Sure. And they all pretty much go to Disney because at that point, CalArts is just a pipeline for Disney. There are very few other places animators right, can get hired. Right, animate. Right. Right. Hanna-Barbera is kind of like dwindling. If you're doing like real serious feature animation, Disney's pretty much your one-stop shopping. Right. But this is the nadir of Disney animation. The period of time where Brad Bird is so angry about how shitty Disney is that he gets himself fired because he was so difficult. He worked on like Fox, Fox and the, the Hound, Hound, Black Cauldron. Right. Apparently he worked on Tron. Yes. But it was all concept art that like wouldn't make it into the movie. Or he would do like in-betweening, like he would animate like a shot or two. Because uh-huh. all those CalArts guys, they have their distinctive style, but you also learn how to like yeah, just yeah. replicate whatever the thing is. So there's like a shot or two that I think he did in Fox and the Hound, and they were like, this guy's too fucking, he can't make the normal shots. Right. You know? Okay. One could sure. say they were too <clears throat> twisted. Well, that I was actually going to say like he is almost a parody of that like yes. where it's like you know like steve like brad bird draws a, a person right and right. it's like a regular person and then like tim burton starts drawing and you hear like a weird little piano it's like yeah. do 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 and like the person has like big eyes or right. skull head I was gonna say, it takes him five seconds to draw the head but right. he spends two hours drawing the circles around the eyes <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Every Tim Burton drawing looks sort of traumatized and he was able to do it, but they were just kind of like, this guy's interesting. He's clearly a good artist. He's got a unique sensibility. He's not fitting in with this. So they were like, Dark Cauldron, that was like Disney's attempt at doing like, Black Cauldron, sorry, doing like a darker fantasy sort of monster movie. And they were like, this is, okay, he's going to fit into this. He'll do monster designs for us. And then they were like, too twisted, too twisted. We don't know what to do with him. So after a little while, because it's just like you get all the animators there. It's not like they're going to fire him and let him go somewhere else. There's not a DreamWorks or something to go to. Sure. They were like, we're just going to give you money. Make something. Okay, always, so they, they knew he was talented. They did. And at that point, even when Disney was at like a low point, it still was kind of a talent incubator to develop voices, right? He was pitching them features. He was coming up with concepts. And they were like, we can't make this. We can't make this. Nightmare Before Christmas was one of them at that point in time. Sure. Um, so they give him a little money to make a short film called Vincent which is phenomenal. You can find it on YouTube. It's, it's like three minutes long, right? It it's a little thing. It's so good. 
And it's six minutes long. It's just like it is the ultimate urtext. It is black and white. It's about like a little boy who lives in Burbank. Right. And his life is totally normal. He lives in a very sweet place with nice parents. And he can't stop fantasizing about being in a gothic horror film. Right. He wants to be Vincent Price. He's like crying over his dead wife. And his mom keeps on interrupting him, telling him to take out the garbage. Funny. It's so visually striking. It's like very influenced by German expressionist films. It's dark black and white. It's these insane angles and these amazing transitions. The transitions from reality to fantasy are great. And that sort of puts them on the map. And they go, ooh, this guy's a, a really good director. Put aside his artistic sensibility and all of that. This is like got a really good visual language to it. And I think a big thing with Tim Burton is because he comes out of animation and because with animation student films, they're very often non-sync sound because that's very hard to do at a student film level. Okay. If you're in a live action film school, you can make a short film with a bunch of dialogue, even with 16 millimeter, super 16 or whatever, right? Right. But in animation, because it's so hard to do, you maybe get one line of dialogue and a little bit of sound effects. You really learn visual storytelling, shot sequencing. You can't yeah, rely on dialogue, right? Right. And for a guy who's as stylish as he is, especially with these early films, he's not manic. There's a very sort of deliberate shot sequencing and mm-hmm. structure to these scenes. That he I understands the I'm, comedy I'm of, right of gesture and language and all of that, right? So Disney's so impressed with that that they give him some money to make a live action short film. They're still in this thing of every year they'll re-release one of the old Disney films from the vault because VHS is still pretty nascent, right? Mm-hmm. So Pinocchio's back on the right. big so screen. So they need, they need a short film. They're re-releasing Pinocchio. All those movies are like an hour long. They are. Right. So they Dumbo were like, let's give Bambi, him some yeah. money to make a short film. Yeah. And he makes Frankenweenie. And, and they look at it. It stars Shelley Duvall and Daniel Stern. It slaps so fucking hard. Fucks and slaps, huh? And they're like, this is too twisted. Twisted. So they pull it. It's kind of... Long, too, right? It's like, it? half, it's like an half an hour. hour? Yeah. yeah, but it's also exquisite. Uh, just an excellent film, and they're like, oh, this guy's got some facility with live action. But at You're this- exquisite. I was getting a Thank follow-up. Thank you. I much appreciate it. Um, can you get me one as well? I'm getting parched. Sucking Tim Burton's dick. Yeah. I need to salivate. Um, so they don't release this film. <laughs> but in this early era of like, here, we got the VHS tape, and it makes the rounds. It starts traveling around Hollywood. Okay. And people are really impressed by this tape. So he starts getting thrown into all these meetings. And he gets offered and then hired to direct the film after hours. Uh, yeah, I, I knew that. The, the film that Scorsese made. Yes. That's supposed to be his debut film. Right. I like that movie. That great, movie, great movie rules. And I actually haven't gotten to see the whole thing. I just like randomly caught it late night on like HBO or something. Your, your, pal, your pal Griffin. Griffin Dunn. My namesake. Right. Not really, but he's a friend. Uh, well, we'll hopefully have on the, the podcast someday. Um, but uh, love that movie. I think it's one of the best New York movies ever made. Wouldn't say it's objectively the best. It is definitely my favorite Scorsese movie. It's also a That's decent insane. punk movie. Okay. Yes, I agree. Yeah, It's an amazing solo movie. It's great. It's so good. Um, but Griffin Dunn was producing his own films at that time. And he had the meeting with him. He said Tim Burton came in. He built a model and showed how he was going to build all the sets with these, like, forced perspective and everything. He was, like, 100% on board with it. They were doing the film. Uh, they were, like, prepping it. You know, not an act of pre-production, but, like, you know, development and everything. I think starting to assemble, like, uh, you know, their key crew. Uh-huh. Scorsese was burned post Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. And was like, I need to get back on the horse. I need to make a movie. I need to make something small. Just make something. Get it out of my system. And that script, he got wind of, and he was like, I would love to make this. 
and Griffin Dunn. Was, yeah, you got you got it flopped around. He hasn't oh, done. Oh, oh, he's trying yet. to get it yeah, made. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's so Less stressed out. Is the That's ladies. what it was. Yeah. He was stressed out trying to get that movie made. He was in like year three. It was Par- to push Paramount had canceled it, I think. Yes. So he was like, like you say, I, just I need to make, make something. Movie. He reads the script. Griffin Dunn was like, Hey, look, you know, I I'm blown away. I'm touched, but we got this guy Tim Burton, and Tim Burton goes. I'll step aside. If Scorsese yeah. wants to make the movie, I'll make it. But I think that also gives him even more mythology around him. Sure. So now we go to the parallel track, which is Paul Rubens. Yep. Paul Rubens is a Groundlings guy. Yep. He's in the same class as Jan Hooks, as Phil Hartman. These guys who are in, they're in this movie. John Paragon, these people who end up on PBS Playhouse as well. And Groundlings is... Um... Like, what is it? How is it related to IO and Second City and stuff? Groundlings was the West Coast ver- equivalent of Second City. It was okay. started by Lorraine Newman. Sure. I'm not her solely, but she was in the original group. It was an LA sketch comedy. Gary Austin, I believe, was theater. The founder, yeah. uh, and, and it becomes like, you know, IO uh, and uh, Second City in Chicago, later UCB in New York. The L.A. Incubator. Yeah. Okay. And, and these people had trained under Del Close. And half, sort of, of, half of the... Uh, I, I think they think weren't so. Del Close. They oh, weren't. Okay. Yeah. No, they, I don't know who their guru was. Well, it's this guy, Gary Austin, from the committee. Like, the, the right. famous That's San Francisco it's the guy. Committee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, they, half of them are plucked for the original SNL cast. It's the Groundlings. Come on, right. people know the Groundlings. But so yeah. it, it becomes one of those places, like Second City, where if Lauren Michaels is scouting for talent, he's going to the Groundlings once a year to for see sure. who their best people are. And when uh, the 1979 uh, season of SNL is wrapping up, Laura Michaels is stepping away. Gene Domanian is taking over. They're going to put together the 1980 cast. Paul Rubens is heavily in contention. Goes through all auditions, goes through the test, is the last guy cut, doesn't make it. And he is, like, really burned and bitter about the whole thing. And he told this story. He was on Comedy Bang Bang, and he was great, talking about the origins of Pee Wee Herman. Mm-hmm. Look up that episode. I'm sure it's behind 17 paywalls. But um, <laughs> It's on Stitcher or whatever, right? I don't know. It's on Howl.fm. Right. Uh, uh, you you got to buy a Victrola, and then they'll <laughs> send it to you. It's a 45 of the month club. Yeah, it's on 8-track. Yeah. You're so frustrated. I'm furious. Why are David? you mad? Because I cannot get over how much I like Brooklyn and its products. I I know that it 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 took you aback. It takes everyone aback. You just don't how know. Good it you is. don't get it. No one gets I've it. I've been there. You haven't. Well, okay. Because look, they offered us free samples, right? Because we were we were sponsoring them on the show. they were sponsoring the show, right? Yeah, they they wanted you to experience the five star hotel sheets that are inexpensive and given like straight to the customer, which was very kind of them, right? And I took a long time to cash in that offer because yeah, you're a useless person, right? right. And I finally did, and I loved them. I'm getting the best sleeps of my life. For the listener, Griffin is red in the face. Ah! Oh my god. You don't uh, get it, David. I like the product so much. I went back and ordered more. So you got your free, your your Brooklyn and sample, but you're saying you then were so entranced by these sheets that I tr- you... I tried to tell the listener, look, I'm not lying. I love this product. I want people to get it. And they went, oh, you're in your ivory tower with your free podcast products. You don't know what it's really like to make a transaction and have the thing awry. So I put my money down on the barrel. 
I took the ad sales money they're giving us and spent it right back on more Brooklynites because I love it. And also because they like work directly with manufacturers and customers with no middlemen so they can give you quality sheets that are affordable and easy to order. Yes, obviously. And their sheets don't just feel amazing, but they look great. So you can mix and match and have, you know, 20 different colors and patterns. We to choose all from. know this, David. I mean, they're certainly the best, most comfortable sheets that I've ever slept on. So, you know, it's time for everyone else to upgrade. My girlfriend was in my bed and she was like, these Brooklyn and sheets are nice. Triple humble brag. Girlfriend in bed, Brooklyn. In. And she said, but look, maybe if you want to be an adult, you should get a comforter and some more pillows. Fair. So then I wait, went wait, to did Brooklyn you just and I ordered them. All right, look, blank check off, blank check offer coming up. They offer so much. I thought it was just sheets. And Stop so you yelling so I can do the offer. Oh, Griffin, <laughs> smack me in the face. He hit you with the palm of his hand. All right, Brooklyn.com. You can get $20 off you, and free. Don't start a fire. Hey, the studio's on fire. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I, I'm going to read this copy. You can get $20 off and free shipping when you use promo code check at brooklinen.com. No They're one understands so me. so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a lifetime warranty. That's the only way to get the $20. And free shipping is to use promo code check at brooklinen.com. The shipping is so free. It's very free. That's uh, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code check. I should also mention that at the end, they ask you how you found out about Brooklyn, and you should say that it was because of Blank Check with Griffin and David. Um, but uh, he was like, you know, walking after, uh, you know, getting the call that he didn't make the cut. At that point, you go 1980 SNL. Everyone who's been on SNL permeated the culture in such a gross way that you're just like, everyone who's on the cast of SNL is going to be humongous. Right, right. And then, of course, that's the doom season yeah. where, like, they fire everyone other than Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo. Right. And Eddie Murphy Charles saves Rock the show from being canceled. Sure. Right. Everyone gets fired. Yeah. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Yeah. Denny Gordon. Keep going. I don't know how many. Uh, 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 Matthias? What was her name? Julia Luis. She comes in after that. Okay. When they go to, what was, they were called the uh, the Gap. What were they called? Anne Risley. Yeah. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Denny Dillon. I said, oh, I said Denny Gordon, who's the director. It doesn't matter. Whatever. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Who could possibly care about this? So Paul Rubens is like, fuck it. I don't need SNL. I'm going to make my own luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were doing a Groundling show where the bit was the worst stand-up comedians. Yes. And he creates this character who's this weird guy. Which who's this, uh, trying to be a stand-up and will obviously sucks at it. Right. That's the joke. Right. But he comes up with the visual look, right. with the voice, and with a couple of the catchphrases. Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, I know where you are, I know but what, you am are, I? what am I? Right. Yeah. That sort of thing. But what's interesting about Huey Herman is there is no game inherent to him. No. Unlike most That's sketch characters. almost what's so baffling about him if you've Correct. never seen him before. Like, you're like, but what's the, what's the bit with this? Like, what's the joke? I He's don't not making it. fun of a type of person we right. know because there's no. no one like him. No, not really. There's no game inherent to him. And even you go like, you know, like uh, Wayne's World, which is like the other most successful sketch to movie adaptation, right? I'd say sure. Wayne's World, Pee Wee kind of counts as a sketch thing and, uh, and Blues Brothers. Right. Blues Brothers is like, okay, there's an art form central to this. It's performance. The Blues right. Brothers never spoke in their sketch. It's easy to build a movie around that. Wayne's World, what's great about them is the characters are a circumstance. It's a type of person. Because it's based in reality, you can write the human versions of them. It's an environment. 
it's not like making a Stefan movie where like how is he going to have any dialogue that isn't him listing things? Yeah, you know Stefan is so baked no, into the it. game. Yeah. Pee Wee is just like who the fuck is this guy? Right. But it kills at this one Groundling show, and he decides I'm going to build a Pee Wee Herman show. I'm going to do like an old '50s style TV show as a live Groundling stage show as Pee Wee Herman. It'll be like a Howdy Doody kind of thing. And so right. he makes something called the Pee Wee Herman Show, right. which blows up. It was on HBO. Well, that like happens the early later. days of HBO, right? They do it at the Groundlings. It blows up. It becomes a phenomenon. They move it to the Roxy Theater. It does an extended run. HBO films it, airs right. it like one of their HBO comedy specials. Yeah. That's huge. And then Pee Wee just becomes a public figure. Like Pee Wee starts going on Letterman. Right. And he Letterman, was in a Cheech and Chong movie? Yes. But it's like as Pee Wee. It's not Paul Rubens. Right. It's like, let's... He didn't do an interview as Paul Rubens Never. until Mystery Men. Correct. Which yeah. is insane. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it also ruined his life in a weird way. I think it's a complicated issue. Yeah, I think it ruined his life. <laughs> uh, but he clearly loves the character. I mean, he oh, brought it back he loves for his whole character, and everything. I know, but he's... Yeah. Yes. It, well, it becomes hard to... Uh, People thought that was his real name. It became yeah. one of those things like Bobcat Goldthwait or like, right. you know, where it's like, where is the separation here? Okay, so apparently my impression of someone sounds like Bobcat Goldthwait. Now I can't remember who. Everyone was tweeting this at me. <sighs> Fuck. It was in the holiday episode, wasn't it? Oh, they said was your it my Eli, Eli Wallach, Wallach sounded in like my Bob- day. Is that what he, I don't know what Bobcat no, sounds like. It's a uh, Venom. Fucker. Oh, Venom oh, sounds Venom. like Bobcat. It's my Venom. See, I don't really remember what I was doing. Ah, for I said a symbiote. some pains, some pains. Yeah, that sounds like Bobcat. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find this you Letterman quote. that character. What, me as Venom, but it sounds like Bobcat? That's the character? <laughs> yeah. Where I'm like, now I'll do Venom, and I do it, and then I'm like, so who's that sound like? And the audience is like, Bobcat Goldthwait! Oh, yeah, you got to do call and response. Right. I'm trying to find this. Uh, oh, this is the Letterman quote. Because Letterman at this time would find a lot of oddball people. Right, because like Letterman's Harvey right Picar. at the start of his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. And this became like an oddball character. Uh, uh, and David Letterman said, what makes me laugh about Pee Wee Herman is that it has the external structure of a bratty little precocious kid, but you know it's being controlled by the incubus, the manifestation yes, of evil right. itself. I've seen that quote. It's very funny. Where I was like, that's the best distillation I've heard of the Pee Wee Herman thing. The closest thing to what he's referencing culturally is just a little boy who's very amused with himself. Sure. Like Pee Wee yeah. Herman is kind of problem he's a, child. He's a little stinker. But in the body of an adult. Right. But then why is it different? And this is a crucial question for Blank Check from Clifford. Yes. What makes Pee Wee Herman work and Clifford like you is sort of unspeakable? In terms of like cultural, <laughs> yeah, no, I, but I don't even mean that. Yeah. In terms of like, you can't stand Clifford, mm-hmm. which obviously is well, part of the not point. Everyone can't stand Clifford. I love Clifford. That's, I know you love Clifford. P- Whereas like Pee Wee, you're not really mad at Pee Wee. No, Pee Wee walks a tightrope, and it, watching it now, I mean, obviously he's not malevolent, really. Like, but he does feel evil. That's the weird thing. I mean, he's he kind of feel a, evil to me. I, I love the Letterman quote. But I he doesn't think feel he evil feels a little evil to me. I think I read that and I realized, like, oh, that's the weird edge the character has. He doesn't. Per- he, doesn't he doesn't feel evil. Behave poorly, no. yeah. but he is kind of a little stinker. I do think there's a sinister edge to him in a way where it's like the little kid where you're like, "Don't touch that. Don't yeah, touch that." And the kid's that. giving you the sly grin. But but like he's he's very uh, delightful, you know. And his he's very this movie earnest. is very delightful. His enthusiasm is infectious. 
The other thing that works so well in this movie, and I think this is what happened culturally with Pee Herman, is that everyone just loves him. Yeah. It's the look. It's something about the look but that it draws shouldn't be. you in. But, but it should be fucking know, creepy. It should, but it's just like. And the rosy cheeks and he shaved like the six little, times. The little yeah. uh, bow tie and the. the in the, in the, the Pee Wee Herman show, which is like a lot bodier, sure. it's more sexual. It's a parody of like, it's like this is a sinister sort of like Gen X version of. Well, that's the thing, though. Right. Right. That's initially what it is. It's of a this, weird, like, asexual children's Gen host. X thing. Right. And then Tim Burton, who is a warped Gen X guy. Right takes it, but then he turns it into this sort of like thing that can appeal to children. Which is But also like college kids. Right. But that's that's crazy. It makes no sense. And even you go like when people like do like, oh I do a good Pee Wee Herman impression, it's like in order to do a good Pee Wee Herman impression, you need to do three impressions well because he's right. three different voices he switches between. He does. Like that's what's crazy about he's how inconsistent the character is. Like when I was like he's got like the nasally one and he's got the one that's like you right. know like, and he switches between them with no real reason right. like it's just sort of how he talks yeah <laughs> he's funny Everything why about is he him, so funny but it like doesn't and I, I was just trying to like watch the movie last night and try to make sense of this because like P.B. Herman is so foundational to me in sure. terms of everything I find funny all the different mediums he worked in and I was watching this and I was like what is the thing I connect I with here so I watched what was this... I connecting with when I was five what am I connecting right. with now I don't understand I watched just this with, hit my, on something with my girlfriend Hummelbrack, yeah. who has no like concept of this person sure. she, like she had heard the name peewee herman and she had heard that there was later a scandal involving the actor who played peewee herman yes. that had sort of soured him in the brain of uh-huh. the people I don't yeah know, right and we're watching it and i'm so delighted by the movie but i really can't explain it. no like i really can't be like but you see because like you see this is what he's getting at i yeah. can't say that now uh mr bean Yes. A character that is very similar but Mr. And, Bean in, in a is, few different ways. He's slapstick. Kind of a, like he is a classic clown. Yes. Like right. That's like he's like Monsieur Hulot or whatever. Like he, he has is sort like, of a game. It's like this is right. how Bean is gonna react to things. Right. Like and you he, see him with a turkey and you're like, how's he gonna fuck this up? <laughs> you know, like that's the bit. You know what's funny is when he draws the little face on the painting. So funny. But he also is just odd. That's the game. Yes, he is. You're right. You're right. Mr. Bean is not like a person. It's not like you're like, oh, everyone knows a Mr. Bean type. Like, right. right. But but that's, I think the difference with Pee Wee is that Pee Wee isn't clean like that. Like, Bean is like so laser focused on like this is the type of weirdo he is. Even if no one's like this, it's all consistent behavior. He's going to fuck up in relation to anything he comes across. Right. And Pee Wee is like sometimes very high status, sometimes very low status. Everyone accepts him, you know, like that. Like in this movie, the way they world build around Pee Wee, and it's there are two other Pee Wee movies, and neither of them totally work. So I've never seen Big Top Pee Wee or the more recent one. Neither the, the one Netflix is bad, one. sure, but they just kind of don't. Uh, they're a little laden, and it makes you realize what a precise pitch this thing is because, like. Big Top Pee Wee is directed by, uh, what's his name, Ronald Kessler? Yeah, Randall Kessler. Right, who was the director of Grease. And and it's a little too grounded. Right. He joins the circus. It has ridiculous creatures, but it's a little too- Kleiser, Kleiser. Yeah, no, no, I'm sorry. And Um, then the third one, Pee Wee's Holiday, which is the recent one for Netflix, mm -hmm. was directed by the guy who directed most of Wonder Shows and directs a lot of comedy TV, and it's a little too weird. Right, but that, that was sort of doomed by, it's made by people who love Pee Wee, right? Like, you know, it's like, um, Paul Russ Paul co-wrote, co-wrote it with, with him, him and Apatow like, produced it because he right, loved it. And they're Pee-wee. just like, yeah. we love 
do well, another like, thing. Like, do it. Yes, please. Like, bring it back. Because you know? throughout the 90s and 2000s, he had said he was working on two other scripts and he wanted to make a third Pee-wee movie. And the two scripts were, one of them was Pee-wee's Playhouse, the movie. He wanted to make an adaptation of the TV show that was like a road trip movie with Jombie and Globy and, you know, Terry and all the great characters, right? Sure. Magic Screen, Conky, uh, Need I Go On. Um, and then the third one was the Pee Wee Herman story, which I think was a really fun idea, which was he was going to make the serious biopic of Pee Wee Herman's rise to power. He was going to play Pee Wee Herman, but it was going to be like, here's the real story yeah, sure, of how he made it. Both movies sounded too weird to ever get made, but those were the films he really wanted to make. And then Judd Apatow was like, can you make another just like Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Right. Can Judd you, Apatow like, quite possibly sort of saw like, Oh, those things might not go over, especially since it's been a while since we've had Pee Wee. But he was having this resurgence. He started doing right. talk shows again. They he brought back, back the show. They did yeah. it on Broadway. He was appearing on TV a lot. Well, and also, he did like, SNL. Like, that's the weirdest thing. You know, he hosted SNL in like 85, right. 86 as Pee Wee Herman. And every sketch was like Pee Wee Herman in a different environment. Right. Like, it's not like he's playing Pee Wee playing characters. It was like, this sketch is Pee Wee in jail. Such a weird <laughs> So weird. You know, I love Comedy Bang Bang, the show, yes. which was obviously so heavily indebted, as I'm sure Scott yeah. Ackerman would, has said, has like, said wait, to uh, Pee-wee is to one of his Playhouse and to Pee-wee in general. Yeah. And he's someone who also does that thing where you're like, what? what is this? Am right. I on his side? I guess so. Sometimes he's playing the but sometimes fool, he's but sometimes right, he's right. the asshole. Yeah. It's weird. It's hard to pin down, but I think it's a similar kind of vibe thing. But Burton builds this perfect world around him. I mean, the story just is, Warner Brothers saw the Pee Wee thing catching on. This was a time where people still took flyers on things. I think especially post-Cheech and Chong, it was like, you don't know where a comedy sensation is going to come sure, from. Sure, The Letterman appearances were really big. He was so visually distinctive. <laughs> but it is still so weird to think about this guy's career arc as like, improv guy, yeah. does a special, yeah. does a movie, Do, does, like does a, a children's show. TV show. Like, yes. you know what I mean? And like, the, that's the arc up. Like, well, and it's also, he does the movie, he does a children's TV show, then does the second movie, sure. which takes place in its own reality. Like, every Pee-wee thing exists in its own, like, sure. it's like the Madagascar franchise. But, uh, where if you I could, that? just really quick, mm -hmm. I did not watch Pee-wee's Playhouse. I oh, love wow. the movie, but yes. I didn't grow up watching that. It, okay. I, I was a little too old or too young for it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. they but missed you me. know who was my dude? Who? Ernest. Yes, Ernest is kind of a I similar phenomenon to Pee-wee. Well, Hard. We've, I mean, okay. J.D. Amato, of J. course. J.D. Amato, the world's number one leading Ernest scholar. I didn't know that. Oh, oh he, he goes hard on Ernest. Jim oh, Varney. I'm going to email J.D. about He's Ernest. He's constantly gotta... asking us when we're going to do a Don Cherry miniseries. That's his name, right? Uh, John Cherry, John I believe. Cherry. Yes. Don Cherry, I think, is a hockey announcer. Um, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, I don't know much about Ernest. Like, I used to go to the video store and yeah. I would see them all lined up and be like, what are these? Like, Ernest was a local TV commercial character uh, who did a lot of local TV commercials. They got big, then it became national commercials, then they did a few, like, video specials, and then he became theatrical movies. But he had already had a Saturday morning cartoon show. There was a more natural sort of build to Ernest, in a way. But it's a similar thing where it was like, he was Ernest. Like, Ernest was the thing. Um... But Warner Brothers just goes, yeah, Pee-wee, make a movie. He right. brings on Phil Hartman, his buddy from The Groundlings. His original pitch was, I want to remake Pollyanna. Yeah, I know. That's his, crazy. His idea was, let's just do other movies and have them star Pee-wee Herman. <laughs> and he's apparently obsessed with Pollyanna. You know, Paul Rubin's very into kitschy shit. 
Yeah. And at some point, he said they were on the Warner Brothers lot. They were letting him start to develop the Pollyanna movie. He saw everyone on their bicycles. This is so fucking stupid. It is hilarious, right? It's like Warner Brothers is like, okay, you can remake Pollyanna. And then he sees people on bicycles. He's like, what if I did like a thing about a bicycle? And they were like, sure, <laughs> fine. <laughs> you want to do a bicycle movie now? But the beauty of the film is just how fucking simple the concept well, is. Well, I agree. I think the Pollyanna remake is a bad idea. Yes. What he came up with is much smarter, which is like, do a sort of sketchy movie, like, yeah. you know, vignettes. But you got one driving force. And the guy has vin- to find his bike. And I believe that Pee Wee's upset about losing his bike. Whereas I might be freaked out if Pee Wee is upset about a more complicated thing. Yes. Like, I might not get that. The bike feels like the right thing for him. And this movie, a thing I think it kills really hard, is they really sell the stakes of how much the bike means to Pee Wee. Right. Where even in the grand scheme of things, you're like, it's a bike. For this character and his worldview, you're like, this is the ultimate challenge. And it's just a good sort of superstructure to hang the hat on. He said they bought, like, Sid Field's screenwriting book because they had never read a screenplay before. And they were just like, okay, here's the premise. He's got to find the bike. And they just followed it to the T. Like page 30, he loses it. Right. Page 60, he finds out where it is. You know, page 90, you end. It's right. three act structure, 30 pages per act, like to the T. That's what they did. And uh, and they bring on Burton because he liked Frank and Weenie. And uh, they they make a movie well, that fucks. Right. He sees Frank and Weenie and probably thinks like, right, this guy is this is a match in the same zone that I'm playing. The same references, the same sort of pitch of humor. And they make this movie, and it's it's inexplicably wonderful. Right, it's just like an inside <laughs> joke that everyone gets. Right, like this movie That's should be at best a curio. Yes. You know, where you're like, oh, it's Tim Burton's first movie, and look, he's got some visual ideas here, and Paul Rubens is doing his thing. And instead, but instead, it, it's like a very good film. And it launches both of them to massive success. It does. Of course, Rubens, his career is shorter. But, but he but has yeah. six big years after this. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Right, from 85, and then he's he jerks off in 91. Yep. Which, it's kind of crazy to think he didn't jerk off for six full years. I, I mean, no wonder he had to but burst at this the This is what I'm saying, is like, theater. he yeah. was, it was, the shock of that was... People could not handle that he was a person. No. With like sexual agency. That's what kind of killed him. And also. And they couldn't handle that he was like Paul Rubens. It was the mugshot where the mugshot he was like, terrible. He looked like look, a scumbag. He looks like a scum. And then, even though all he was doing was jerking off to porn, which like, you know. Can you think about how. I just had that moment watching the movie, thinking about the scandal, just going like, that's so crazy that we as a society, because computers didn't exist, we're like, okay, you have to go to a theater to watch porn and just. Don't masturbate. Wink, wink. Right. I'm just going to sit in a room yeah, with strangers in a, in a dark strangers. theater and watch porn and then just try to keep it in my mind I'll and then go home go to my home, bathroom. Right. I mean, whatever. You're right. That's insane. It's a weird structure. Sure. And then Pee Wee, uh, you know, but yeah, but it was just right. And then you go back to watching the show and you're like, oh, he's creepy. Like, I guess was the arc that the country went through in 1991. It doesn't matter. Especially because the character is kind of asexual. Pointedly in this movie, right. he's like revulsed every time Dottie tries to go on a date with right. him. Right. Paul Rubens has said that originally, like in the special, in the Pee Wee Herman Dottie show. Dottie is cool though. Dottie rules. Dottie's awesome. Voiced by. Well, played by Played by Daly, Daly right, who's yeah. the voice of Tommy, Tommy. Pickles on Rush. And she sounds like Tommy. Yeah. In this movie, she sounds like Tommy. You're yeah. like, it's Tommy. Baby's got to do it. Baby's got to do it. Baby. Right. Um, but he, you know, in the Pee Wee Herman show, he refers to himself as the luckiest boy in the world. Because I think at that point it was like, well, we're adults, we're doing a sketch show, I can pretend he's actually a child. Right. At a certain point he decides that Pee Wee's an adult. Right. But he's sort of like a weird man. Everyone in this movie is either a child or an adult, even though they're all adults. Yes. 
Like there's like the the guy in the pool. I can never remember any of their names. You know, the, Francis the, is a child. He's like a child man, right? Whereas like Simone is like a woman, right? And Dottie is kind of a child. Yes. And then the 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 convict, uh, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Why am I forgetting? Mickey now. Uh, Mickey. Mickey. Yeah. Is kind of an is is like a a man. Right. Like These are the people man. who are hardened. But you right. have the people who are adults are like burned by the world. Like it sure. weighs heavy on them. And then right. you have like Francis it's one of those and like, Dottie. It's a big world out there. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, yeah. These people have like lost. They've right. loved and lost. Sure. And like Pee Wee and Dottie and Francis exist in like day glow bubbles, like surrounded by cereal and dogs and shit. Right. Well, the movie begins so it's so aggressive. Even just from like black title screen and the Elfman score starts and the Elfman score sounds like anarchy. Right. This is like, I think his first film score. It is because it was just the Tim Burton like Oingo Right. Boingo. It was this and then he does back to school. <laughs> it's true. Yes. And the thing that like made Elfman so exciting at this time period was like he knew how to write a character theme better than anyone else. Right. Where you're like, this is the musical expression of sure. Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, it's not yeah, that yeah. this is the score for Pee Wee's Big Adventure. This is what Pee Wee Herman sounds right. like. And that like, dun, 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 dun. like it's yeah. so chaotic. I remember watching this as a child when like the Rube Goldberg is making the breakfast and right. the music was so alarming. I was like, what's about to go wrong? Right, right. right like right. I couldn't imagine that the breakfast would be successfully executed because I was like, the house is going to catch on fire. like a pancake face. Yes. I don't know. What do you think, Ben? I love Rube Goldberg machines. Yeah. <laughs> sure. His dog Speck. That's what I've always. Uh, the dog's great. I've always face. wanted one of those. You get one. Like this movie just launches you straight <laughs> into the deep end of madness. But that's the thing. And Joanna's just going like, "What the fuck? What's is what's this? the thing? I don't get it. Like, what yeah. is this? Right? Because uh, yeah, he he does the tape face, and and she's and you're like, oh, is 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 what? Why do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. He just he just does this shit. I, I remember <laughs> I like know. I keep on going back to this as a reference point because I think it is like the best sort of like you know counterpoint the opposite end of how you do this thing of of Wayne's world. Mm-hmm. which is like totally ground this thing. And I remember showing that to Romilly when she was young. Wayne's World? Yeah. Uh-huh. And she was like, so what's the thing here? Right. And I was like, okay, so like in the 90s, like this genre of music, this is what these right. guys acted like. Yeah. I could explain it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Wayne's World, it begins with Wayne being like, so I'm Wayne and I host <laughs> right. a TV show in my basement. And you're like, <laughs> yes. right, like in the sketch. I get it. And he's, he's got like, dreams. He's a normal I'm person. I'm like a real person and right. we host the show right. and he's we're kind of some loser, weird guys. Right? Yeah, and right. like, and that's the movies right. about that. We're going to try and like make the show for real right Pee Wee Herman is like I'm a fucking lunatic I live in like a cartoon house in a cartoon town I have no job I have no job God knows how any of this works yes. I wrap tape around my face in the morning and scream <laughs> like I, dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 dun. and then I go outside and like water my lawn and the neighbor has to close the window everyone in town has just learned to town's live like, with sure, my peculiar go for it oh it's that time of day maniac. <laughs> And then he gets on his bike and bikes around. And Loves his bike. He's got yeah. his whole security system for the bike. Yeah. The bike does look rad. Yeah, it's a cool bike. And you're like, I guess it's the 50s, and but nope. like not it's really. Very much the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, I guess... Uh, I guess he's a, a grown up. Uh, I, I don't know. You don't know. I don't, you don't really know. know. He exists outside of like time and space. But the thing I love is how like everyone's pretty charmed by Pee Wee. Like within his town, right. they're just like, we oh, understand Pee-wee. how to behave. Like, our society runs on Pee-wee. <laughs> He's this weird, like, force of chaos that, like, somehow is the perpetual motion machine that keeps this town running. He goes to the magic shop. It's, like, his usual swing. for you. The guy gets along with him so well. He goes to Chuck's bicycle shop. He sees Dottie. Dottie is madly in love with Pee-wee. Pee-wee is revolted by the idea right. of ever going on a date with somebody. Right. Um, 
Paul Rubens had said originally his intention was to make Pee Wee like uh, not only like asexual, but also like agendered. And he right. wanted it to be a question. Pee Wee was like a, a an adult, a child, a man, a woman, <laughs> which is what the uh, things about me you couldn't understand, wouldn't understand. Right. Is like a, a reference to, although it's not literally something he's still holding on to in this movie, that idea. Sure. Because I think they make it pretty clear he is male. Sure. Um, I don't know. But I'd rather him. not think about it. Yes. Right. I don't want to think about him as a being. That was the problem with the fucking masturbating. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. The, the weird note that people, I think, always get wrong is that um, they said, like, oh, the show was canceled because of the scandal. And he had no, ended it had the show over a year earlier. Whatever, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, I'm done with Pee Wee. I've hung it up. I need to, like, figure out what the next thing is and lay low for a little bit. And so then everyone sees this, like, headshot that looks totally different. Here's the story that's totally scuzzy. And then what happened was they took the repeats off out of syndication. Sure, sure. He was part of a Disney World ride. They pulled that. Well, and also he just vanished. Yes. He stopped doing things. Right. He didn't really do movies again until, like, 99. Because when I was... 12 and mystery men's coming yeah. out or whatever. I didn't really know much about Pee Wee Herman. I mm-hmm. guess I, I that, that had all passed me by. And I remember reading like uh, this big EW probably or empire. One yeah. of those things features about mystery men where like Janine Garofalo and Ben Stiller and all like, we're like the hip cool. Right. They're like fucking Paul Rubens, man. We like we didn't back. know how to behave around him. He's it's like, it's like he's such a legend. He's doing he's a new character for the first right. time in 15 years. Right. And yeah. his character in mystery men is like arguably the worst of the mystery men. He he's mystery. funny, but like he's really broad. Whenever it's else insanely is insanely broad yeah. and it's farting. Yeah. I mean, like he farts. Yeah, you have to understand that. My favorite character is the Blue Raja. The Blue Raja fucking rules. Blue Raja more like Great Raja. I'm a shoveler guy. Shoveler's cool too. Shoveler is great. I think that movie is so good. I, we've we agree on it, and it's a great movie that's kind of poorly directed, but it doesn't matter. Like still Nathan great. Rabin had the best line about it, which is, uh, uh, "Mystery Men looks more like Batman and Robin than any movie should ever look, including Batman and Robin." And we've, yet, somehow, in spite of that, it's it, still I, great. I like Mystery Men. I haven't seen it. The script time. is Shoveler's so great. good. Shoveler's great. All William the performances H. Macy, are great. Yeah. My parents said when they were together before I was born and and through when I was pregnant, they were pregnant. You were pregnant? pregnant. When they were pregnant with me, they were like, but I think even before that, they were like, if we ever have a kid, he's going to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse. Like my parents would apparently watch Pee Wee's Playhouse together. And and, which my parents are not as uh, infantile as I am. Right. But they loved that show. And they were like, I hope we have a kid who watches this. So from the time I was born, which is like the tail end of him doing the show leading into the masturbation scandal. I was raised on Pee-wee's Playhouse. So instead right. of playing Mozart, you're you're you Pee-wee. were just absorbing in utero Pee-wee. Yeah, and this is how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> As if anything has ever explained me more. Yep. My yeah. parents were just like playing the Danny Elfman theme on a, a fucking cassette, like a Walkman on her belly. <laughs> uh, you know that thing they used to do where it's like you put the headphones on the belly. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I, I was like very much raised on Pee Wee when the show went off the air. We had the VHS tapes that we'd rent from across the street. I watched them over and over again. My understanding of Pee Wee was just this show. Didn't know there was a movie. Uh, some older relative in our family, a, a great grandmother, great aunt or something died. And I remember being three or four and we went upstate to where they were sitting Shiva. And I was like really impatient. I was like the only young kid there. And they were like, what if we like bring you upstairs and you watch a movie? James was maybe a baby, right? Sure. And they were like, what? Let's see what VHSs we have. And they were like, we have Pee Wee's Big Adventure. And I was like, there's a fucking Pee Wee movie? How did no one tell me about 
There's a goddamn Pee Wee movie. All right. And they were like, it's not Pee Wee's Playhouse. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? It's P- I know what Pee Wee has put it on. Put it on immediately. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Right. Where's Jombie? Where's Globy? Right. Where's the house? Right. Who is he? What's going on? They here? were right to warn you. Weird about it. And then when it gets to the clown part, I literally run out of the room screaming. I forgot about the clown. Yeah. Terrified me. Kids. And I was like, that's not Pee Wee. Pee Wee would never do that to me. <laughs> and didn't see this movie until like, uh, maybe I was nine or ten. Sure. At which point, ABC Family, then Fox Family, had started replaying Pee Wee, and I started watching it again a lot. Then saw this movie. I was into Tim Burton at that point in time, and uh, I think it was on Comedy Central or something, and was like, this is the fucking jam. Now I get it. I totally get it. And I'd seen other Burton movies, but now I was like, this is the one that I think made me all-consuming Burton obsessive. Right. Once I was able to string everything together. Right. Um, so Francis is a shitty next-door neighbor. Yep. He's he wants funny. the bicycle. He does that thing where he's like, yo, you know, regret this. He wears monogram jumpsuits. He's funny. As does his father. They live in a gilded house. They're the Trumps. Mark Holton is the actor. Which I got that wrong in trivia. There was a photo, and it was from Teen Wolf, but I knew right, it was Francis. Right. Even though in the photo, he's holding a you newspaper that says Teen Wolf. That. Right, right. And you went, there's a fucking wolf there. Anyway. Yeah, he played Gacy in John Wayne Gacy movie. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. <laughs> it sure does. Uh, the setup of the film is just super fucking simple. Francis wants the bike. Yep. Pee Wee loves Doesn't nothing more than his bike. bike. He's kind of mean about it. Which I kind of like. That's yeah, me too. Like, he's a little stinker. He's a little stinker. He really is kind of like an asshole. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's so rude to people so often. Well, also in a way where you're like, what the fuck are you being rude to me for, you, like, non-person? Like, yeah. what? you don't do anything. Yeah, like, what are you so like, superior about? That's what's interesting is that, like, this movie, like, in terms of the effect he has on people, positions Pee-wee as something of, like, a Paddington or an intern character right. who, like, magically changes people's lives. Right. Except he's kind of, like, an asshole to everybody. Right. He's annoying. Right. And he's, like, very, like, sarcastic. He's very snarky. Uh, all he cares about is his, is his bike. Um, he uh, chains the bike up to mm-hmm. this clown while he's going shopping. He's already re- rejected Francis' offer with a lot of judgment. Yep. And he comes back up, and the clown is terrifying, and it's like crazy canted angles. And he's the already, music gets, and, he, and Dottie is introduced, and he talks to Dottie, right? Right, Dottie right. wants to go on a date with him. He, like, hates the notion. He's a loser. He's a, I mean, he's a rebel. Right, I'm a, le- I'm a rebel Dottie. Rebel Dottie. Yeah. Um, all these lines that are very quotable now. And uh, sees the bike is missing, walks into Chuck's with the horn as his dying thing and knocks over all the bikes. That's funny. Makes me laugh. And it's like, that's really well-pitched stuff where it's like, you got to play the stakes high around Pee-wee. You know, like they play it like it's real high drama. Um, uh, wakes up in the hospital. Like, you know, or it, a with loner the EMTs. Rebel. Jesus yes, Christ. Yes. It was taking me so long to figure that out. As he passes out, the EMTs come in. They do yeah. a cut to him at the police office and they go, so why do you think the Soviets are involved in this? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> Which is a really good joke and also great that like the cop, the woman playing the cop is like playing it real straight mm-hmm. against him. They can't help him though. And Pee Wee just goes like maniacal overdrive conspiratorial. Right. Um, calls the entire town into his basement where he has 27 items right. of evidence and goes on this long thing recreating the scene of the crime. Maybe my favorite joke in all of, of uh, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure is uh, you are only seeing the crowd from behind. Okay. 
uh, he's like running through like exhibit B. And he's like going over something. You hear someone whispering and he goes, is there something you'd like to share with the rest of us? Amazing Larry. Uh-huh. And it just cuts to a middle-aged man with a day glow <laughs> mohawk. And he right, shakes right. his head. No. Yeah. And I, as a kid was just like, the fact that they don't explain who amazing Larry is, is the funniest fucking thing in the world. <laughs> and when this movie finally came out on DVD, I remember Entertainment Weekly in their review of the DVD said like, and we finally get the backstory of Amazing Larry on the deleted scenes. And I was like, day one, gotta buy it, mom, dad, take me to fucking Circuit City. Okay. And we bought the DVD and there's a scene where when he goes to the magic shop, there's a much longer version where Amazing Larry is just a magician in town and his Ah, business is bombing. Right. And Pee Wee's like, you gotta get hip. You gotta be like more like the kids. Do something trendy, mix up your hair. So he, right. So the joke's supposed to be the next time you see him, he's gotten this ridiculous haircut, which is funny. But the joke of no explanation, it's the guy's funnier. name being Amazing Larry, is, way better. is hilarious. Yep, I agree with you. So everyone's like, Pee-wee, you gotta chill the fuck out. He's despondent. He goes to Francis. Francis denies it. He wrestles him in a bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> he gives them trick gum, so they start like... <laughs> the bathtub scene is the one, like, violent... It's the one time Pee-wee's, like, violent. Yes. Yeah. He really, like, goes for it. The bathtub seems good, though. I like that I mean, having, the, like... Whatever it is. Pool. A whatever full, it is like, psychotic in. break about right, the bike. Right. And despondent, out of yeah. options... Visits the psychic. Who tells him, you're looking for something. <laughs> and he hands over his money. I, I love that scene. Me again, too. because it, it's sort of, like... You put I, I like acknowledging like, yeah. that Pee Wee can be tricked. Mm-hmm. That like there is a world because he's out like, there. I'm not going to give you my money so fast. You got to prove to me. You know, he's what like you're, you're looking for something, and, he's, and he just right, silently he just hands over. <laughs> um, Al and Mo. Yes, funny. right. The basement of the Alamo is where the bike is, and thus the like right. And here now the movie the stakes are are set. Yeah, they're high for him. And it's just one thing he's got to do. He's got to get to the basement of the Alamo to find this bike. Right. And then it becomes like my favorite. It's a road movie. Right. My favorite structure for a comedy. Just like road movie meets various people. It's, yeah. it's vignettes. Yeah. That's yeah. my favorite. Like fucking Finding Nemo, fucking Midnight Run, you know? Mm-hmm. Like any sort of like picaresque journey road movie I, I love. If, if the segments are fun. Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. Good movie. Uh, my beloved due date, the darkest comedy of the two thousands, twenty tens. Weird movie. I'd... Hey Griffin, uh, let's talk about th- talk space. <laughs> I know what you are, but what am I? Uh, well, I am talking about an online therapy company that lets you message licensed therapists from anywhere at any time. Yeah, I know what you are, but what am I? All you need is a computer with an internet connection or the Talkspace mobile app, and you can improve your mental health even if you've had trouble making time for it in the past. I know what I you what are, doing. but what am I? This is what I'm doing. I'm proving that you don't want to end up with some Pee Wee Herman giving you therapy. Sure. That's not a good sounding board. No, if they're just saying one phrase to you over and over He's again. He's not listening. He's that just would telling you. I would say not sound medicine. Absolutely not. Uh, well, if you can't imagine fitting anything else into your life at Talkspace, you just have to send your therapist a message on the app. Right. Anytime you, your bike gets stolen, you reach out, sure. you go, I need to go to the Alamo. You can, right. you can communicate with them on the road. Yep. You can just send them a message, chat about life, talk about everyday challenges like the stuff you're 
uh, getting into. Jailbird, you just met Anytime a lonely waitress who dreams of Paris. You can you can tell your therapist as you travel all these details. Because therapy isn't just about like your innermost thoughts or digging into childhood memories. It's getting stuff off your chest. It's a big part. practical everyday strategies for stress management, living a happier life, and. Uh, you know, so you, maybe you miss your bike. Talk about it to someone. Right. Not everyone has a podcast they can use to get stuff off their chest. And Talkspace is like a good alternative to that. All right. So the Talkspace platform has over 2,000 licensed therapists who are experienced in addressing life challenges that we all face. Humble prick. <laughs> to match with a perfect therapist for a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, go to Talkspace.com slash check. Oh. And use the code check to get $45 off your first month and show your support for this show. That's Check and Talkspace.com that makes slash sense. check. So I have to check my Wi-Fi router just to make sure the internet's up and then it will automatically. I mean, that is true uh-huh. that you should do that, but then you should. But then the to... discount will be put in no, effect. No, you what? then have to uh, use um, promo code check oh. at Talkspace.com slash check. Okay, well, I know what you are, but what am I? I love the Americana, though, like yes. nature of the vignettes. Yes. Like even, uh, I yeah. love ghost trucks. Uh-huh. Ghost truck is amazing. That is such Obviously, a, I mean, it's large march. Large march rules. It's very much like, I love that it's like, this is sort of the the mythology of like the American road. Yeah. Where it's like, the, here's the, the, the sad the waitress at the diner. The crazy here's killer. The cop on the run. Yep. Here, you know, here are the hobos in the train. Yeah. Like, yeah. you're putting Pee Wee in like recognizable tropes of like Americana. This is true. And all these characters are played really straight, which yes, I like. that's why it works. You know, like even. But then, but then I like that, you know, um, what's it called? Mickey, you know. Yes. He's like, look, I like you, Pee Wee. Like, you know, he's come around That's on Pee Wee. What I love, like right. Paddington, the Paddington effect of like everyone yeah. in the town is like, you've saved me. Right. Makes sense because Paddington helps people. But somehow everyone is just transformed by being next to Pee Wee, even though he doesn't do anything for them. Well, Pee Wee helps with the, um, the yeah. cop stop. Yes. It's funny when right. they cut to him just dress as a lady. <laughs> right. <laughs> just I, both of them dressed. Well, up. and the bit I like, because, you know, watching this, you go like, is this going to be like uncomfortable watching like a cross-dressing bit? Is this something that's going to hold up? But no. It, no, the bit is that he gets so into the character. Right. Like, that's what's funny is the bit is he develops a very specific character. Well, also, he's wearing... And he won't drop it even after they get past right. the checkpoint. And he, well, I mean, obviously also the funny bit is that they are two yards from the checkpoint and Pee-wee's like, I know what we'll do. And they <laughs> right. cut. I mean, that's just funny. Yes. But also that he's wearing this like insanely unflattering like sweater mm-hmm. cape and the cop is like, I just wanted to take a look at you. Yeah, nice outfit. You know, like yeah. it's like the worst outfit. Hey, hey, Pee-wee. Pee-wee. Yeah. Just want to take another look at you. <laughs> Wee's pleasure. Wee's pleasure. I think you should do him more. Da movies. Did you watch it? I did. It's crazy. He says the movie six times. Now, I was wrong that he literally began saying the movies, yeah. but it's like the third word. Yes. I think he says everyone loves the movies. <laughs> everyone loves the movies. And then he literally just introduces m- movies. Yeah. The magic of. He doesn't pivot out of that to like, anyway, best supporting actor. He's just like, and now we celebrate Dumbovish. Oh, God. Um, People really responded to Dumbovish. No, but I love that like Pee Wee doesn't like reform Mickey. No. But Mickey is like, I can't drag you down with me, Pee Wee. Right. That off the side of the road thing is so funny just because it becomes them in an abyss of black. Right. Like it becomes so stylized suddenly. And then, of course, the convertible hood saves them and Mickey kicks him out. Yeah. Then the next stop is Simone at the diner. 
Uh, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Which I just love how it's like, here's this weird, like, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Oh, no. Next is Large Marge, then it's the... Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, right, because Simone is the waitress at that diner. Right. Yes, right. Right. But Large Marge is great, obviously. Large Marge. We stand for Large Marge. Yes. We stand for a legend. Yes. Uh, Alice Nunn. Alice uh, uh, Nunn. Uh, Who died, like, not long after making oh, really? this movie. Yep. This is also the first example of Tim Burton making a human being look like a Tim Burton drawing. Right. Like the way he mops up her hair. Right. No one else in this movie looks like a Tim Burton drawing. Right. You see the touches of his sensibility, but it's very much the main aesthetic is the peewee aesthetic, the sort of 50s. But then once in a while, you get, you get, you, you know, you get this. Well, obviously, obviously the stop motion the stop screen motion phase. Thing. Yes. Then there's that fantasy with the weird windows they're walking through. What's it called? Oh, yes. fuck. What am I remembering here? I love. You're talking about the the nightmare he has with the um, the dinosaur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like that, that's where Tim Burton's like, let me that's run wild. That's the expression. Right. That's very yeah. much in line with Vincent. Yeah. Um, I, there's the, the great uh, animated just his eyes in the dark where he's trying to figure out where he is. Right. And then he turns on his headlight uh, goggles and he's surrounded by taxidermied animals. <laughs> I love that it's like a quick enough shot that they hope you won't notice that most of them are taxidermied. Like the less dangerous animals are alive and then there's just like a stuffed lion and how, a bear roaring in his face. How many times have you seen this movie? I couldn't even tell you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's you're giving me details where I'm like, Oh, yeah, I guess so. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I watched it so, so many times because it's just one of these movies where I was just like, I remember as a kid, I I was often so literal minded that I wouldn't get a lot of comedy Mm -hmm. and I would like see something and I'd stop my dad and my mom and be like, what's the joke there? Can you explain that to me? Mm -hmm. And they were like, the joke is the reversal of this, right? right, which probably is why my brain turned out the way it did because I like dissected every single frog when I was five. I understand. But this was one of those movies where, like, you know, I see this eight or nine, nine or ten, whatever age it was, and I was just like, inherently, all of this is funny to me. Mm-hmm. There's no explanation. There's no logic it to just it. But every hook it to my veins. This yeah, is it. Right. It's like enough of like the Looney Tunes, like sort of anarchy, um, sort of just combined with like doing funny voices with your friends on a playground. Like, there's something just about like Pee Wee, just like, you know, it's just energy. Um, mm-hmm. But I like that Simone has this, like, real pathos to her. She's this, like, uh, you know, the, the diners tell him that Large March died 10 years right. ago. I like that they repeat the exact same monologue to right. him that she just did. Um, and Simone is this woman who dreams of Paris. Yeah. Uh, PB doesn't Simone. have any money. She makes him wash the dishes. And then she asks him if he can watch the sunset with her. And I love this, like, very, like, sweet romantic thing where they the sit dinosaur. in the mouth of the dinosaur. It's cool. It just looks nice. And watch the sunset. It's a nice color. She talks about her bad, abusive boyfriend. Yep. She talks yep. about her dreams of her life. And Pee Wee tells her that, like, she has to go and, like, live them. The boyfriend, meanwhile, sees them. Andy. Here's her talking about the butt. Everyone has a big butt, and your butt's one of the biggest I've ever seen, Simone. He pulls off the fake bone and chases Pee Wee. It's funny. Yeah. He looks like Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Looks like he looks like Paul Bunyan. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember even like at a young age being like, I like that Simone actually matters, that she's not treated as a joke. Sure. You know? Simone played by Diane Salinger. Yeah, she rules. She um, does rule. And then the next is the biker bar. Um see for how much I remember. Yes, the next works. is the biker bar, of course. And next is tequila. Right. right. Because then you gotta get to the Alamo, which yes. is like sort of directly connected. Yes. This is my favorite part. This is the best part. 
Yeah, I mean, this is like this, the exquisite. It makes me very happy. Yes. I don't know how else to describe it. And I also, love the bikers. Yeah. The guys like are all playing it perfectly. You know who the head female biker is? The one with the red hair? No. Uh, Elvira. Oh my God. Mm. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're playing it just like caricatures of bikers, but they're still kind of scary. That's the thing. Genuinely menacing, so the tension right. is actually there. Yeah. Right. And once again, you can't explain what this bit is. He walks into a biker bar. Right. Tries to like ask everyone to quiet down. Right. They all they get mad. stare at him. So yeah. so right now I'm like, I get it. He's not he doesn't belong in the biker bar. Okay. And they're, they're and they're a bunch Very of tough guys. Clear I, get it. Setup. I get it. I get it. So they're threatening to murder him. Elvira comes with the knife and he's like, Don't I get a final request? Right. And you're he like, also knocked over some motorcycles. Yes, he, like, which is funny. But he also does a Chuck's bicycle job. He keeps on knocking it's, it's, them over it's like the same dominoes. gag, and yet it still works. It's still funny, <laughs> especially because you have to think about like the reset time after one take God, of like Jesus PA's coming, yes. coming to turn everything back over. But you go, okay. So what? What's the logical bit here now? The bit is either like he appeals to them and does something that would like show that he's a real biker, right? Or he tries to intimidate them and pretend or to be he, a like, tough guy. Wins a race, something like this. Right. He's gonna exist within their world and try to prove his relative. No. 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 He just puts on high heels. Well, first right, he asks. <laughs> he asks the bus boy silently right. for his wedge heels. Yep. Which I love that, that he shrinks boots. down. Yes. Uh, and then just stands up on the table, presses. Uh, well, first he puts tequila on the jukebox. Yep. And then just does this very joyous dance. Yep. It's not an incredibly like complicated. Nope, not at all. It's not like right. It's not like Napoleon Dynamite where he does like a big thing. The like, bit is that it's so impressive that he's like choreographed this much. Right. Of it. And so it's just like dun, 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 and he's sort of like shuffling around and it, it's funny. It's the right song. Right. Um, and it is like kind of the movie in a microcosm where you're like, I don't know why this is yeah, funny. What, what does this have to do with anything? And, and also, why, right. why are the bikers falling for this? Because who wouldn't fall for yeah, this? It's, this it's is charming. charming. It's charming. And it's like you, the cutaways to them, like so where at good. first they're just like, what is, I don't like this. And then yeah. as like the song progresses, they're like totally on board. Yes. Ah, it's so great. Right. Uh, and that's where like... Burton's really like keyed in as a comedic filmmaker. It's like the stiff, the stuff that isn't on the page, but that he knows like, well, we'll make the sequence work is having those reactions be just precise. Having the windup of the sequence be like really tense and all that sort of stuff. Right. Mark's out of there. The bikers love him now. <laughs> I'm just watching it. They, they give him a motorcycle and yep. he immediately crashes it. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> And then they hard cut to him in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. That's his nightmare sequence. Yeah. Right. Then he makes it to the Alamo. He makes it to the Alamo and Jan Hooks, one of my favorite comedic actors Love ever. Jan Hooks. Uh, never had the career she should have had. Yeah. What? I mean, she did, a, what, Designing Women after she left SNL. Yeah, she was on Third Rock from the Sun a lot. She ended up being on 30 Rock as Jenna Maroney's mom. And that's just like a couple young. episodes. Yeah. Well, and at yeah, that, that point, she hadn't sad. been on screen in like six or seven years. Yeah. She's got her one really good scene in Batman Returns. Uh, I just think she's one of the best. If you I, ask I me, when I like do she's my... She's a great voice actor too. Like she would do The Simpsons sometimes. And so she's great. She's uh, great. When I do my idol, like, okay, fantasy roster, draft your best SNL cast ever, I always include Jen Hunt. Sure. As not an obvious one, but someone who is just so she's fucking great. valuable on that show. Um. And uh, she's just playing, like, the ultimate... Ultimate tour guide. Uh, ridiculous. Right. I don't know. Like, like also Texas. Like, Texas. Texas. Down homey. Kind of, down right homey, kinda yeah. like, oh, well, 
though. But performative down home. Super polite to the point of annoyance where she's like, hold all questions to the yeah. end. I'll so, say, honestly, you're maybe the best group I've ever had. Right, all ever. that. That's funny. And Pee Wee just wants to ask where the basement That's is. That's funny. <clears throat> Sorry. Pee Wee just wants to ask where the basement is and she keeps on saying, hold all questions. And the, this tour goes on for fucking ever. Sure. Finally asked the question and it's like, oh, sweetie, there's no basement at the Alamo. Everyone laughs at Pee Wee. It's right. his worst nightmare. Right. No, he's despondent. He doesn't have a bike. There's no basement. This is all a fool's errand. Right. And you feel it. I, I remember being a kid and feeling it so hard, like everyone laughing at you. You didn't know about this, like, information that everyone else knows. It just what, shows you a movie can be so fucking simple. We, we flipped this. The Alamo is first and the the biker bar is second. Oh, okay. We Sorry. did. I'm pretty okay. sure we flipped this. Okay. I mean, this movie has, it yeah, doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But it's he sees. The, it's because on, when he wakes up in the hospital is when he sees, sees on the TV. TV. Yes, yes, right. Anyway, right. it doesn't matter. Yes, love the Alamo part. Yeah, I mean, the, I remember the Alamo is the best joke in the movie. Right, he goes to the biker bar despondent right. to call Dottie. Yes, um, but right, isn't it like once he crashes the bike? Is the I, I remember the Alamo joke? Uh, yes, yes, right, 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 right. I, that's right. my favorite. joke. Do you remember anything? Yeah, I, I remember, remember the Alamo. The Alamo. They'll go, hey! yeah. Cut to black. Yeah. Um, so he wakes up in the hospital and he sees it on TV. Uh, sees it on TV. It's being used as a prop mm-hmm. in like a kid's movie. About a nun and the big brother from The Wonder Years. Yep. Uh, Kevin Morton. <laughs> yeah. Uh, played by Jason Hervey. So now Pee Wee has to go to Hollywood, which like once again, one of these things where it's well, like. Well, you're like, what the fuck? He's going a movie within a movie in, within 60 minutes of his first movie? Yeah. We're going that? big like but this becomes like kind of the perfect backlot chase scene like it's a thing that's yeah. done a lot i love it in blazing saddles but this one just has all the elements of like him invading a godzilla movie I and still like don't get why this movie is good right <laughs> it's so weird yeah i'm spending the whole night being like, like if i say i'm like a critic yeah. in 1985 yeah. or whatever and it's like, I see that and I come out and I'm like, how am I going to sell people on this? Which a lot like, of critics dismissed it at the time because they, I think they were just like, I can't mount a defense of this. Sure. It looks right. ridiculous. I don't well, know if critics is, were such fuddy-duddies, as, yes. you know, as back then. Uh, Roger Ebert didn't review it back in the day and then years later was like, it's a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my Roger Ebert's great movies. Yeah, right. And he was not a Burton fan. He like disliked most Burton movies throughout his career. Is that true? Yes. Interesting. Because uh, I remember reading Burton on Burton when I was young and then going, but once again, Roger Ebert gave it a thumbs down and I was like, he's uh. the villain of this book. <laughs> Fuck him. Yeah. He doesn't see my beautiful Timmy for what he is. Um, but uh, yeah, th- th- this backlot chase, which like. Um, now I'm interested. Now I'm like looking up Tim Burton. Yeah. He liked Sweeney Todd. He did like Sweeney Todd. He often it's said. about it. He was like, the movies. He liked look, Edward. He liked Edward. The movies look great. Sure, sure. Edward, he was like, finally, he's gotten a real script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're usually visually impressive. He loved, like, he said Batman's worth seeing because of Gotham. Yeah, but he gave it two stars. Yeah. Yeah. But he would do that sort of argument where he's like, I don't think it's a good movie. I highly recommend going to see it in theaters because the art direction is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And that would be his, like, review of all of them. Um, but yes, it is one of these uh, things where I, I, I don't know why this movie works, mm-hmm. but it speaks to these two guys being in the right position and why the other two Pee Wee movies don't work, where you're like, I can't tell what they're doing wrong, but somehow it's not just achieving this very specific spot. I don't think Tim Burton could make this movie today. 
I don't think he could have made it 10 years later. I think this yeah. is like this one moment where the two of them were really synced in with each other and with the culture and all of that. This backlot chase is just so much fun and just keeps on escalating and escalating all the elements. I mean, Conan O'Brien talks about like how he loves whenever they would do backstage sketches right. at uh, late night. Mm-hmm. He always had like a guy leading a horse. Right. And a person like a monster costume because no, he mean, loves they, that notion yeah. of Hollywood where someone's like carrying a backdrop. And, and it's all just a bunch of like blue collar guys who are like, hey, oh, I got to get the Godzilla over there. Right, or the work a yeah, day thing. And this just like it hits all of the, the points. Uh, a thought I had, too, is the, all the movies he's invading. Yes. Are like parodies, right? Like yeah. really blown out. But it sort of feels also like it was like that's kind of what movies are now a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I also do love that, like, it's literally Godzilla and King Ghidorah, that they, like, clearly got the rights, and it's not just like, oh, this is like a Godzilla stand-in. Well, it is Warner Brothers. Maybe Warner Brothers could have the rights? Like, was it, is that possible? I don't know. I mean, maybe Warner Brothers is like, I don't think so, because we got these things. Like, Maybe Sony did Roland Emmerich's movie. I don't know if Warner Brothers, because Dino De Laurentiis did the 70s ones, which are at Paramount. It's completely. King Kong, what am I talking about? Yes. It's completely insane that you know that Sony did the Roland Emmerich. What are you talking about? It's top of the dome. If I know anything, it said it was a Columbia picture. It was actually TriStar. Oh, well, apparently I don't know anything. (laughs) Weirdly enough. Remember TriStar? Yeah. Yeah. The the galloping uh, Pegasus? Of course. They still make movies. Occasionally. They brought it back to the Once in a while, you see it in front of like a movie. Yeah. Uh, Like Baby Driver. Right. I always liked that. That was one of my favorite All the in the world. Uh, logos. You like the Pegasus? The fanfare. Well, remember also there was the the the, na, na, the, the 2D na. Pegasus that na, they would do sometimes? No. Yeah. Yeah. Here, I got to pee. You guys got to pee. It's more like pee wee. That was good. Pee wee, Herman. Um, so what else? I don't know. Now I don't, I don't want to get to the finale because he's in the bathroom. What is something we can talk about like only now because David's out of the room? Can we spill tea on something? Is there something that would piss him off? Hmm. I mean, usually he just gets mad at our bits. I know. But, but it, it just feels like is it fun to do a bit if he's not getting mad? No. No, really. right? No. Because his frustration is what sort of then helps to ramp up the comedy. It's almost like I can't even get it up to like try a bit if David is in the room because it's like I don't get the same rush unless he's frustrated. Yeah. I mean, we could do something like really, uh, I was going to say like a visual bit because you and I like that. Oh, yeah. You know? If we, like, swapped all our clothes. Yeah, yeah. Right. But the, I don't know. I don't. Again, David would, would have to be here to be like, God, I hate this. I have a friend, Max Skolnick. I'll give him a shout-out. He's a great guy. And there was one night we were at a large dinner with, like, a lot of our friends. Uh-huh. And he kept on uh, changing his outfit. <laughs> <laughs> he had, like, a lot of layers on. Yeah. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen anyone do. He had a lot of layers on, and he wasn't talking. Right. He's, like, a really good, like... He's really good at working bits where he understands, like, uh, human behavior. So okay. he was like, this is a large table with a lot of comedians. If I don't talk for a while, no one's going to pay attention to me. So if I can silently rearrange items of clothing. So it's like, now he's got a bow tie, but he doesn't have a sweater. Right. And now the sweater's on, but he's wearing a hat. That's very funny. Things would disappear and come back. And then we'd, like, look to him and we'd be like, Max, did you change your clothes? He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's one of the best bits I've ever seen. Cool. You'll never know about it. Well, I'll listen to the episode. No, you won't. Illegal. (sighs) 
James Brolin, did we talk about him and Morgan Fairchild? So he gets caught by the security guards, yeah. and the president of Warner Brothers is watching all this black and white footage of Pee-wee invading the movies. Yeah. And he's like, I think he might be a star. Yeah, this guy's got something. <laughs> How about a Pee-wee Herman motion picture? And then, of so course, he gives him the bike, right? Because like, yes. this guy has like control of the bike. Right. Right. And makes a special movie about him and his bike. The bike school chase has so many good bits too, where like the the handles fly off, and then the new replacement handles come in. Right. Um, which is fun shit. And you get to see Pee Wee like you know at the beginning his dreams of the Tour de France. Like now you're seeing him really like cycle like his life depends on it. Right. Uh, and it's like good visceral like chase shit. Like you feel some speed on that thing. We forgot to talk about the hobo guy, which is just a really nice segment of him singing with a guy. Oh yeah. I mean, all of these people come back for, for the, the final finale where they're all watching the movie. Dottie gets her way. She gets to go to the drive-in with Pee-wee. Right. And all his friends come there. Even Mickey in the bus straight from prison. Right. Pee-wee gives him a foot long, which of course is a file <laughs> to try to break out. Right. File down the bars. Simone's there with her French boyfriend. Right. It's just like really nice. Like all the people he sort of touched along the way. But I just like that it's like they just were charmed by him. You, you, I, this movie is so fucking weird. I don't know so why. So fucking I like it. weird. And you see the movie, which is about P.W. Herman. Right. Played by James Brolin. An incredibly sexy James Brolin. Yeah. Like, looks really guy. handsome yeah. in this movie. And one of my favorite touches is how bad of an actor P.W. Herman is because they let him play the bellboy. Right. And when, uh, when <laughs> Brolin says, the name's Herman, P.W. Herman. They cut to a close-up of Pee-wee, and Pee-wee can't help but mouth along the lines. Right, right. <laughs> like, he knows Brolin's lines. Well, and he, he doesn't have to see it. He lived it. And he keeps on making eye contact with the camera, and then, like, starting to move in one direction, but then moving the wrong. It's, like, really subtle, bad acting. Right. Uh, and, yeah, he rides off with Dottie. He doesn't need to see it. He lived mm-hmm. it. And of course, James Brolin says the line, I'm a, I'm a loner, I'm a rebel, Dottie. Right. Yeah. And, and thus, film history is made. Pee-wee. Phil Hartman is there. Yes, Phil Hartman co-wrote the film. He plays a reporter. He's interviewing Francis, who takes credit for the whole thing. But then he gets the old ejector seat. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and 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 the rest is history. The movie fucks. Um, no. Yes. No. No. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. This film makes. <laughs> it love. was generally positively received. It was a solid box office performance. Well, then it did well at the box office. This did well at the box office. Was the no one saw that coming? No. Made $40 million. Yeah, which would be like 80-something today. Well, let's find out. According to Box Office Mojo, it would be... 86? $105 Jeez. million. Dollars. Hey, now. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, if this movie made $105 million today, people would be blown away. And Warner Brothers would say that's not worth our time. Right. <laughs> that is unfortunately true. Yeah. They would be like, well, do you want to make like a $200 million movie, Tim Burton? Like, maybe like a... I don't know, we got some theme park rides here. Like, I what do you want? I try to like explain this to friends who aren't in the industry where it's just like, so why don't they make romantic comedies anymore? And I'm like, because they don't think it's worth their time to make $200 million. Right. They it's only want to needle. attempt to make a billion dollars. The thing They'd the, rather lose 500 the with AT&T the potential making. I know. Walked in and said, like, when you guys make $100 million, like, that's how much we make in like a second in the telecom industry. And what's whatever. so frustrating is you and I have talked about this. We didn't talk about it on Mike, but Warner Brothers has had this weirdly good year. Yep, Their franchisey true. stuff is disastrous. Right. But they had like Crazy Rich Asians and The Meg and uh, uh, None. Uh, the None. Well, I mean, The Meg cost a lot of money, but that was Chinese co production. The Meg was, uh, yeah, but like The Meg should not have done well. 
at all except in China and instead did well. Right, but my point is you go Crazy Rich Agents, Star is Born, and The Nun combined cost $75 million. Sure, right. And each will end up over 150, well over 150. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of profit for them in addition to the fact that like the fucking money they must be making off the Star is Born soundtrack. I mean, all this shit. Oh, yeah. That's a future of a studio and their new corporate overlords is like irrelevant Meh. to us right. who cares make yep. six more joker movies uh, i'm looking at what else they had they had game night which kind of ruled this game year does kind of rule and did well because did, it didn't did well. open well and it ended up at 75 yep um yeah I had tag which was based on a true story about a bunch of guys who played tag yeah but now has been adapted to its ideal form check a lanterns wait i don't know what that is davy great comedian ucb guy uh, decided that he would uh, carve uh, the entire cast of Tag into separate pumpkins for charity. Right, right. And it went viral. And then the cast of Tag donated like tens of thousands of That's dollars. Nice. So he did like the 12 principal actors and the director of Tag, which I thought was really nice. They're really good pumpkins too. Better in the movie. Uh, they also had Ready Player One, which was another actual surprise hit for it them this year. Pretty well. Yeah, it did certainly amazing overseas. overseas. Yeah. And it did fine here. It was another yeah. thing where it was like, did a little better on both ends than expected. Right. But but, but the Joker universe. I know. And, wow. And seven more Grindelwald movies. Look, I mean, have we said this on air? What? I'm like, I'm excited to see the Joker. I am too. I, I kind of think it. it. I'm, see I'm kind of Joker on board. Movie. I'll up. say this too. I want to see it. So I, it looks cool. I think the design is really good. I know. I like it too. I don't know what to do. With, I don't know what to do with this information. That and I the have, like, the fucking I'm, like, like interested videos in Todd Phillips' Joker Your movie. body language says right. you're like grossed out. Like you look like know. you're going to throw yeah. up. Right. I mean, look, it's going to lock the gates. It's going to fuck. It's going to be twisted. I swear to God. We're going to get fingered. It's got everything going for it. It's the culmination of everything this podcast has been leading towards. God damn it. It's a twisted DC movie with Marin. You're right. You're right. We should have Marin on that one. A Get weird, a okay. weird blank check film. It's very much a blank check film. Yeah, in a way, and franchisee. Like it's everything we have talked about in one movie. Yep. <laughs> I'm excited. I was. I mean, we were so against it, and I like the second stuff started like, leaking oh, out. Cool. I was like, oh, Zazie Beetz and Francis Conroy are in it. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually like a really interesting, intelligent cast. (laughs) Really canny actors. (laughs) Um, Oh, boy. Yeah, but I just, like, the Pee Wee thing is so hard to think about because it's like, uh, where was the sort of, like, audience education? Like, there was no, like, okay, here's Pee Wee. You all get it, right? Like, suddenly he was just in a movie. Yeah, you're right. He had done some shit, and that was how they would just take flyers on people because I think really Cheech and Chong was... I don't know. These guys made some big records and let them, let them make a movie and the movie was huge where they would still do this sometimes. It opened to 4.5 million so it must have had like a very long Steady word life. of mouth yeah. kind of tale thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it, it basically made the same amount of money week after week. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't significantly drop like ever. It was like a sleeper hit. It was a, a classic An immediate uh, cult phenomenon. Yes. They offered him to direct the sequel. Immediately, Paul Rubin said, I want to make a kid show. I see this character connecting with kids now because of the movie. Yeah. He makes Pee-wee's Playhouse, but they also start developing Big Top Pee-wee, and they offer it to Burton, and he passes because he's read a script that Warner Brothers and Geffen have had lying around for a little while sure. and takes to it with a lot of new visual ideas. And that script, of course, famously is called House Ghosts. 
<laughs> is that what it was called? Yes. <laughs> Beetlejuice. It's Beetlejuice. Oh, oh but it was called horrible. House Ghost. Yeah, right? Now, to be fair, it's not like you walk into a, a studio pitch meeting and being like, I've got the title for you, Beetlejuice. It's like, a, you know, and they're like, oh, everyone loves Beetlejuice. It's an overbearing character who's only in the movie for 13 minutes. Right. It's a word that no one's ever heard before. <laughs> That's the title. Beetlejuice. Uh, uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Now let's talk about the box office. Yeah, we're playing the box No, no, not next week. Oh, next week is? Dun, 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 dun. It's our 200th no. No, episode. Not. No, it's not. It's not. You're crazy. You're crazy. Oh, did I next fuck week up? is Beetlejuice. Oh, fuck. Cut this out, Ben. Next week it is dun 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 our 199th episode. No, it's no. like our 196th episode. No, none of this is gonna be in. So stop. We're still gonna do Aquaman. Yeah. Shut up. We're gonna do Beetlejuice, then Aquaman. Yeah. Just then... take it from where you were before. Oh, so it's Aquaman and Batman back to back. Yep. That's kind of fun that that lined up that way. Yeah. That we have like well, great now the, men, the two men. Out. Yeah, but also like... Right. We were never cutting this out, Ben. You know that. The most recent DC <laughs> and one of the earliest DCs back to back. Hello, Fennel. It is the early, I guess, Superman. Superman, right. right. But that's beginning, yeah, of, of real franchisey stuff. Uh, yeah, Modern no. franchise filmmaking No, next week, Beetlejuice. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, you know, Merry Christmas. Blah, okay. blah, blah. So what is it open at? 4.5 million. What number? Number, three. number, number three. three. Okay, number one at the box office is 1985. What time of the year? August 9th, right in the middle of fucking Nowheresville. Yeah, these ones obviously get tougher when they're from before I was born. I don't have a memory. Number one is the most popular film of 1985 in its sixth week. Three Men and a Baby? Nope. Was that not that year? Not that year. 19- Maybe it was. I don't know. 85. It wasn't. Is it part of a franchise? It begins a franchise. It, it Batman begins. I'm sorry. It Bartman begins a franchise. Mm. Terrible joke. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, uh, do you want more clues? I can give you more clues. No, I'm I'm trying to suss this out. How Mm. many are there in total? Three. There's three in total. It starts in 1985. That's true. Is it the motion picture Beverly Hills Cop? Nope. Fuck. Um, Is it the motion picture Back to the Future? There you go. There we go. You got it. Back to the Future. Beverly Hills Cop was number two that year. Nope. Number three? No, Beverly Hills Cop is not that year. What? I don't know what to tell you. Okay, fine. It's Back to the Future. Gotta, Beverly, I, now I want to know, though. We've got to go back in time. Beverly Hills Cop is number one movie of 1984. Oh, okay. 1985's best movies were Back to the Future, uh-huh. Rambo First Blood Part 2, which was the second highest grosser. And like, and is an awful movie. And also like tripled the gross of First Blood, which is the yes. only good movie in that franchise. Well, First Blood's an amazing movie. and then First right, Blood's like an actual movie. Right, and then Rambo First Blood Part 2, which is, is one of the silliest titles ever. Jingoistic the, porn. But uh, Yeah, but also the, the poster is like he's shirtless holding a bazooka and the background yes. is fire. Right. So they were kind of like, yeah, you know, the last one was like, he's like a vet, but like this one, don't worry, he's gonna like shoot a bazooka and it's gonna be awesome. Right, like, and it looks know, like they like movie. sliced open his flesh and stuck chicken cutlets underneath. He's like, <laughs> Right. This is the beginning of me looking at photos of like uh, uh, Sylvester Stallone going like that looks like it smells bad. Right. Any movie where he's like roided out and like shirtless and greasy. <laughs> it, does, it looks insane. Yeah. But they they send him on a mission and send him up to fail but, but they it, made one mistake which is they forgot they were dealing with right. Rambo. It's, it is the funny title evolution of 
First Blood, right. then Rambo colon First Blood Part 2, and then the third one is called Rambo 3. And then the fourth one is called John Rambo. Rambo. Oh, just Rambo? They, they go back. I think the next one's going to be called John Rambo. Is Fine. that possible? Sure. They're doing one where he's like fighting a, a fucking a wolf or something. I don't know. The, the wolf? He's like training for Rambo 5 right now. And like in Rambo 3, he just looks tired. Yes. Like, but whereas Rambo 3 is also But also, terrible. he does look kind of smelly there, doesn't he? He's too no, shiny. No, but Rambo 2, Ugh. he looks like an action figure. Yes, he looks like an action figure. And then they make a Rambo cartoon show. Yeah. Rambo's that ignores weird. the fact that Rambo is like a, a victim of PTSD. Haunted, right. Right. Like, yeah. right. He's like someone having a mental breakdown. So, but here we go. This is actually crazy. Should I actually, off his comedy with I actually Rambo wrote about this um, because remember when Ethan Hawke uh, was like, superhero movies aren't so good. Yeah, and then he was arrested. Right? Yeah, and then, uh, of course, he was crucified for this opinion by right. Thanos himself. Um, I don't know. <laughs> he snapped the shit out of Ethan Hawke. Uh, and, you know, people were like, oh, fuck you, Ethan Hawke. And I Mr. Was, Linkletter, I suddenly don't feel so good. Go on. I went, that was funny. Ten Thank comedy you. points. Uh, I went into Ethan Hawke's films, back, filmography, mm-hmm. and I was like, this guy's kind of put his money where his mouth is, yep. where he's never really done a big movie. No. Like in his career, and he's no. been in a zillion movies, and some of them have been big hits. Valerian's like the biggest movie he was ever right, in, and he he's plays in it for a, a minute. Yeah, he plays like a a, a porn uh, right, person. but like his big studio sellout movies are like Training Day, which yeah. he got nominated for and an like Oscar, Taking Lives, <laughs> right. or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and like, or he'll like do a Blumhouse movie. Right, for he used fun. to do adult thrillers when those still existed. Yeah, now yeah, that yeah. they don't, he'll do like Sinister, and he'll, yeah, he did that weird. Uh, 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 what was it Selena Gomez car movie? Anyway, what were you saying? Um, but like the, the 1985 was his first year at the box office. And so I did an article where I compared like last year at the box office to 85. Explorers? Yeah, Explorers. Okay. And so Back to the Future, mm-hmm. Rambo, First Blood Part 2, number three is Rocky Four. So those are big sequel movies. God, Stallone right? running the table. I know. But then The Color Purple was the fourth highest grosser and Out of Africa, the fifth and Cocoon. Yeah. And Witness and the Goonies That's and the Spies like, like Us are in the top 10. Even like the franchises were big and genre I know. films Police were Police Academy big. 2 is in there. Ben's excited. Oh, below it. Oh, Fletch. Right, Fletch. Hey! Number 12. Yeah, 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 yeah. There just used to be such a diversity if you looked at the top 10. Right, that, that, that was the point. There was a article. spread, yeah. So 84 was Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, and Gremlins, right? Um, Let's find out. Wow, Beverly Hills Cop beat Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, yep. Beverly Hills Cup was and like Temple of Doom, the 10th biggest movie Karate of Karate Kid, yeah. Footloose. See, this is, you start to see these are the years that forms the next stage of Hollywood. For sure. These are the years that build the 90s. David? Yes. We love movies. True. Uh, blanket. Thank it. Right. Another thing we love mm. is we hate movies. Oh, now, that can get a little there. confusing. You know what I'm saying? Slow it down. Because that sounds like, wait, they love hating movies? No, 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 no. no. We love the boys at We Hate Movies. Who also love movies, but they also love to hate movies. The name's a little facetious. Yeah. And and they they are much like us, so in love with the enormity of what movies yeah. uh, can represent. But they tend to cover bad films on their podcasts. Yeah. Right? Now, we, we've we had Andrew and Steve on the show. Yep. There's uh, also Chris Cabin and uh, Eric Siska. Who we hope to have on very soon. Uh, but they're doing something kind of funky this month. They're flipping the whole thing on its head. They're making it we love movies. Right. They usually use a bad movie as a jumping off point for some discussion of movies and pop culture. I mean, these are some of the best dunkers in the biz. Oh, right. This is like the slam dunk competition. Suicide Squad. Right. Squib, squab, squab. B-movie. B-movie. 300. Yeah, I mean, you know, things like this, you know, the Friday 13th sequels, the Transformers franchise. Right, I mean, right. these are guys who have the courage to do five episodes on the Transformers Hush. franchise. 
But this <laughs> month, they're doing We Love Movies, so they're tackling some of their favorite movies ever. That's the criteria. Terminator movies they two. love. Back to the Future. It's Wonderful Life. Now, Terminator 2, we've covered on this podcast. Sure. Batman. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Bartman. Bartman. 1989's Bartman. I'll know him. A film we're about to cover. They're covering it this month as well. Oh, uh, can you contact the attorney? Contact the lawyer to sue them? Sounds like we got another cracked movie club situation on our hand. <laughs> no, no. I can't wait to hear their Bartman episode. No, and the thing is, they're also celebrating it on their Patreon. You right. Know? So you're getting subscriber-only episodes on... Star Wars. Star Wars, a movie we've covered. Star we've, Trek. We've chatted about that one. The Routha Khan. Good one. Commentary to the Schwarzenegger classic Commando, one of their favorites. Yep. Great and then movie. they're they're throwing in some bad movies as well. Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Their Patreon, they've got Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance, Man, Man of Steel, Steel. Jurassic World. I mean, yeah. these are things that come up a lot on our show. They've also got a monthly Star Trek show called The Nexus, uh, which covers uh, the original series in The Next Generation, which I really like. And animation. Star Trek's great. Animation Damnation, which cover random, uh, covers random episodes of Saturday morning cartoons, which right. I really like because I am a baby. That's right. Anyway, you can subscribe to We Hate Movies on iTunes or Google Play, and you can check out their Patreon at www.patreon.com slash wehatemovies. They're great guys. Anyway, after that long digression, yes. number two uh-huh. <laughs> at the, the specific box office is a movie I've literally never heard of, so I'm going to have to look up what it is. Oh, I have heard of this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a comedy. Uh, <laughs> it's starring one of Ben's Ben's faves, I think. It's not a Chevy. No. no. Jim Belushi? No. Uncle Buck himself. John Candy. John Candy. Who is Harry Crumb? No. Weird movie. That's a weird movie. Not great outdoors, is no. it? No. I don't. Did Volunteers you know this Volunteers already no. came up. Uh, Never no. heard of it. Directed not- by Carl Reiner. But John can't. Is he the only above the title guy? Yep. It's directed by Carl Reiner? I'll give you the tagline. Yeah. John Candy is about to face the most devastating experience known to man, the family vacation. What the fuck is this movie? It made $25 million. What's it called? Summer Rental. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's right. He's rented a house in the summer. What it. will John Candy do next? For that to exist post National Lampoon's <laughs> vacation I and. I found out what this movie is. What? This movie. He is... rents a season? Yeah, no, he, no, he's. Uh, no, he, it's, he goes on vacation with his family. That's the plot. Yeah. This film was based on a summer holiday taken by Bernie Brillstein. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Based like, on a real vacation. And my vacation was interesting. You should make a movie, Dad. He literally is like, I oh, look, I'm a fat guy with a bunch of kids. Being heavy on the beach, it's no fun. So I guess he just like <laughs> called someone and was like, do a movie about how I w- didn't like being fat on vacation. That's how like, you know, like <laughs> I don't understand. The, the Ron Howard Vince Vaughn movie, The Dilemma. Yeah is based off of Brian Grazer being like, yeah, my, my friend's wife is cheating on him. I can't decide whether to tell him or not. Right. Make a movie of that. Here's $75 million. <laughs> These like dumb fucking bubble Hollywood executives who are like, the thing I just experienced is so interesting. Let's attach the biggest comedy stars alive to it. Direct, director Carl Reiner said, quote, like Carl a, Reiner directed that. Like a small, beautiful painting in a large frame, John is a handsome guy in a larger frame than is necessary. What's he talking about? I don't know. He's he, just saying John Candy's fat. Yeah, he is a handsome guy. He's got a nice face. <laughs> he is. I agree. But he's just kind of saying, like, he's a real handsome guy. He's just kind of big. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, Carl Reiner. Like, is that breaking news? 
Uh, Roger Ebert's review of uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop, which mm-hmm. is from his later, more generous years, sure, where he gave it like three and a half stars, mm-hmm. and he was like, "There's some like intelligence to the visual language here at the beginning of the film, where he's meant <laughs> to be buffoonish. They film him in low angles that play up Kevin James's rotundness." <laughs> But later in the film, as he becomes more heroic and is chasing people on his Segway, sure. they go to higher angles that show off that actually he has a pretty solid jawline. <laughs> I just remember that constantly, that he was very impressed with how they the, made— the, the, the shot selection. The, they make him look less fat as the movie went on. That's all <laughs> he was saying, but he, like, really got into it. He devoted, like, a graph to it. R.I.P. Roger. R.I.P. Enemy of Timber. Number four is another comedy. There's a lot of comedies. Yeah, people are yucking it up, 1985. Ben, have you seen this movie? Do you like this? Of course, of course you've seen Love it. Love it. Was this, this like a Comedy Central man? Stuff? No, it's another of his icons. You already mentioned him. Uh, Chevy? It's Chevy. It's not Fletch. No. Because obviously we know Ben's seen Fletch. Right. It's Spies Like Us? No. No. This uh, is... Um, a solo, solo Chevy? I, I don't know. No, it's not it's solo. It's not a solo. I mean, he's... It's his... He's with people. It's, so, it's hard to give clues. <laughs> Very hard. Yeah. I mean... It's not a vacation movie, is it? It is a vacation movie. So it's European? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, directed by? Uh, uh, Amy Hackerling. That's right. Who we'll hopefully cover someday. I think so. Interesting career. Very interesting career. Number five is a very good movie. I like this movie. It's a horror comedy. Uh, uh, Casper, A Spirited Beginning. No. <laughs> no wait a second. <laughs> That's not what it is at all. Okay, 1995, it's a very good horror movie. Is yeah. it, I'm getting my years wrong here. Is it a sequel or is it a, an original? original? It does have a sequel and then much later a remake. <sighs> Only had one sequel. Just the one. The sequel was a huge bomb. Sequel was a huge bomb. And how was the remake? I like it. It stars one of my boyfriends. Not Colin. Yes, Colin. It stars Colin? Mm-hmm. It's a sequel. It's a horror movie starring Colin. He only really, as far as I know, made one horror movie. Oh, 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 yes. A movie I like. Although, and I know this is sacrilege, I don't get dragged for this, I think the remake is better. I like them both. The movie's Fright Night. Fright Night. Fright Night. I like both of them, but I, I really like... Uh, you know why? Because I think Colin's really fun. Colin is he got great. I gave him a, a best supporting Griffey that year. Yeah. Nomination, not Nomination. win. Yeah. Um, but he's great in that movie. That movie's really good. Mm-hmm. That's the best movie. Craig Gillespie is directed by a mile, by a nautical mile. Yeah, and do you know what the second one is? Second best movie? Lars and the Real Girl. No, Mr. Woodcock. No. What? The finest hours, baby. Oh, I forgot that movie. Those exists. hours, they fine. I forgot. That, talk about a nautical mile. Yeah. We got to get over the bar. I can't believe I haven't seen that We got to get this fucking boat over the fucking bar. Yeah. That's like that whole movie is just Boston accents being yelled about getting over a sandbar. <laughs> it's great. I call, love that movie. Called The Finest Hour. I looked it up. 123 minutes. Who are the guys? What are they even? Where do they get off? Jesus Christ. I mean, the reason we went long in this is because we were not long on the movie. We were short. Yeah. What do you say about Pee Wee? It's a masterpiece that's very strange. Yeah. How, how long was this app? Uh, we haven't even hit 90 minutes, baby. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. We're efficient. Look what happens when we don't bring a guest in. We're lean. We're no John Candies. <laughs> <laughs> so what's up with you? What's up with me? Well, I wanted to say um, yeah, Weird, Weird Science. Weird Science is number six. Oh, yeah. Love that movie. Sure. Yeah. I have a feeling, though, if I would watch it today, feel I would oh, no. feel <laughs> pretty feel gross. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Real Genius, number seven. It was really just they would just dump all the comedies yeah. in August. Yeah, clearly. Cocoon is still going. 
Follow That Bird, which I've seen many times. The uh, A very odd film. Very strange. Kind of creepy. Kind of feels like it was directed by Tim Burton. It was it's directed very, by Ken Quipus. I'm aware. Director, if he's just not that into you. <laughs> That's right. But it has a very ominous... Well, doesn't it end with Big Bird like... Putting his feather on the the, the Egyptian like death yes. thing, the scale. Also, the middle of the movie is he gets imprisoned by a traveling circus run by Randy Quaid, <laughs> and he gets so depressed that he literally turns blue and then becomes their central That's act, right. which is the blue bird, and he's a giant sad blue bird in a cage singing songs of sorrow. Wow. Uh, and it's about him being relocated. That they're like, you don't belong here with these humans, you fucking bird. You know what ten is? What's ten? Follow that bird. I'd love to do an entire miniseries. About. Yeah, let's definitely yeah. never do that. Do you uh, think <laughs> someone cool is directing the Sesame Street movie. There's a Sesame Street movie. They're doing a Sesame Street movie, but someone cool is directing it. Who? Hong Sang Soo. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> tell me what number ten is, and I'll look this up. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Quickly, John Braylock texted me. Cool. Oh man, I agree with you so hard about a star is born. Oh, whatever. As goes Bray, so goes the nation. That's actually, rarely true. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Braylock. All right, number ten is this movie Silverado. Have you seen Silverado, the Lawrence Kasdan movie? Yes. Okay. I was uh, taking a train the other week mm-hmm. uh, back from DC, mm-hmm. so I put some Netflix. You know, Netflix. You can download a movie. You want to Netflix and show? No, I mean, I just wanted to watch Netflix. Were you trying to relax? It's, I was. You're right. Netflix and Shadow. Okay, fine. So I, I, I was. I'm just sort of looking at like movies I can download. Right. Mm-hmm. I picked Silverado. Yeah. Because like it's Larry Kasdan. The cast is superb. You got Kevin Klein, John Cleese, Kevin Costner, Danny Glover. Yeah. I'm like Jeff Goldblum's in it. I'm gonna have a great time. And I put it on, and I'm like, this movie's fucking boring and lame. And that's it. Uh. So my. That's all I got. It's not good. My friend Brendan McLaughlin loves Silverado. He tried to get me to watch it for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Kevin Costner once used Silverado as a, a teaching tool to to give me a lesson about acting. You mean like he showed you Silverado, or he just like mentioned? He's pretty good in it. That was his breakout movie. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'll I, tell I'll tell the story because I think this is this is an interesting thing I think about all the time. Okay. So, but uh, do you agree with me? Silverado just kind of boring. I kind of like it. It's, what it's the fuck track. are they doing? Trying to get to Silverado or yeah, something? Exactly. You yeah, just answered your own question. Um, so there is uh there was a scene in draft day uh where uh they they wanted me to go bigger. Okay. They wanted me to go like really broad for one moment. Sure. And uh I was resistant to do it because it felt a little goofy. Sure. And they, he kept on saying, like, dude, you got you gotta go bigger. You gotta go bigger. Is it Reitman is saying? Reitman was saying it, but then Costner was like oh, okay. leaning into me and going, like, I know it feels weird, but just do it. Just do it. Just go big. You're going to want this moment to be big. Okay. I know it feels weird. I know what you're going through. And I did it, and I like felt weird about it, right? Uh-huh. And he, at the end of the day, he was like, can I talk to you for a second? I was okay. like, yeah. And he said, my first movie I did, or I think this, maybe the next morning he told me this in like the hair and makeup chair. He was like, this is why I was so persistent with you about this. First movie I did, Silverado, I was I was a lot like you. And I was like, I don't think that's true. <laughs> you were devastatingly handsome right. in that movie. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I'm playing Rick the intern. Right. He's playing like the sexy young yeah. cowboy. He was like, I was like, you are some young, funny actor. And I was like, no, you were a movie star. <laughs> I guess he's a little goofy in it. He's a yeah, but he was also a leading man in waiting. Yeah. This, this is right. True. I was like beating out Josh Gad for roles, you know, <laughs> if they decide to flip the role skinny. <laughs> so. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> so uh, he was like, we did this movie, and there's a moment where I walk out of the bar, and there are two bad guys on either side, and I take out two guns, and I shoot in both directions without even looking at them. Sure, yes. And that's like my big badass moment. Right. And Larry Kaz and the director said to me, after that, you should sort of turn your head towards the camera. Not look at the camera, turn your head towards the camera and smile. Turn, turn your turd. Yes, I agree. My constant impression isn't great. Whatever, right? Okay. So he's like, you should turn your head towards the camera and smile. And Costner was like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, come on. And he's like, it doesn't make sense. Right, we just right. killed two men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like kind of fourth wall breaking. Oh, yeah. Like it feels out of character. Why would you do that? And he's like, trust me, trust me, please do it. It'll be so cool. And he's like, I'm not going to do something because you think it's cool. Sure. I'm an actor. I'm protecting the integrity of this character. And he said he went to the premiere of Silverado and he saw that moment where the guns came out and he is an audience member went, fuck, I want to see that guy smile. Yeah. And he said, it felt so wrong to me in the moment and I watched it and I said, that's what the movie demands right now. And if you're with a good director or you're surrounded by people you trust, you need to trust them when they tell you, I'm looking at the thing from this perspective and even if it feels unnatural, sometimes the movie demands something weird. Right. That's sort of got a life of its own. Yeah. And then he linked up to this story where he was directing someone on Dances with Wolves and had the exact same argument with the guy where the guy didn't want to go big on a shot. I won't say which actor, which scene it was, but it was a smaller part. And he brought the guy to the dailies. He got the guy to do one take the way he wanted. Right. And he brought the guy to the dailies and they were watching all of them and it was like, fine, fine, fine. And then they did the take that Costner won on. Yeah. And it blew up. Like it just gales of laughter. Right. And he got a call from the local police wherever they were shooting that movie, Montana. Sure. Uh, at like three o'clock in the morning that they had found the actor like drunk and belligerent having a, a nervous breakdown in the middle of the street. Uh-huh. Because he was like, if I can't trust my own instincts uh-huh. and it felt wrong to me. Jesus. And that was Costner's thing was he just said to me like, sometimes you just got to trust the people around you. Even if it feels weird, I know what it feels like to be an actor. I know how vulnerable it is. You get in your head. This is an argument that Kasdan's a bad director because he didn't get him to do it. Good instincts, not forceful enough, perhaps. Silverado, more like Borarado. But Kevin Costner said to me that was his biggest regret of his entire career was not smiling at the end of the gunshot in Silverado. Not the postman? <laughs> no. That's what I... Please, why do you think I said that? Because I'm not going ah, to finish that joke, but you can insert punchline yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's what he said to me. He's like, that was the biggest mistake of my entire career. Now get me a fucking coffee. Did, did you go big? You went big. Yeah, but you know what? I watched, I watched the movie and I wish I went bigger. Uh, I truly do. Okay. They used the biggest take I did. I won't say which scene it is because I don't want to uh, demean my own work, which sure. I already could do. Uh, but I watched it and I wish I'd gone bigger. I 100% agree with what both of them were saying. What do you think, Ben? Weigh in. Uh, it was cool when you dropped the coffee. Yeah, thank Spilled you. the coffee. Yeah, thank you, Ben. cut it out and only put it in the trailer. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I know. I'd be, we, I'd be getting 20 million a picture if they had kept that in. Yeah, should have kept it in. That's all. My life would be so different if they had kept in the coffee drop. Yeah, but you wouldn't be doing blank check, baby. We, we kidding me? Blink check would be. It'd be on NPR. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, baby. I can't think of what a better version. <laughs> yeah, right, but what's like the hottest you can be in radio? <laughs> Doing it on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess we could have like a serious channel. That'd be cool. Yeah, what if we were on satellite radio, Ben? <laughs> that would be lame. Uh, it would be lame. Does anyone listen to satellite radio? No. Like people, Sometimes you get a rental car and you can I listen feel like to it. It's only people who want the Frank Sinatra station. And Stern. And Stern. Stern, yeah. I know, yeah. 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 Weird. Weird. So it's sort of a, a dry end to the episode. Yeah, well, tune in next week where Howard Stern <laughs> will be our guest on Beetlejuice. 
<laughs> I like that Beetlejuice guy. I can't. That's not. Uh, I can't really do Stern either. I'm not a Stern guy. So what, Bill just got a big dick? I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people, were you a Stern kid? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All right, that no, makes sense. kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I just feel like there is like, you know, there's like a solid like 25% of comedians our age mm-hmm. and a little older who like, like Stern's a big one for them. Like, yeah. And then like, yeah, yeah. Like Gethard or whoever. Yeah. And then some people are, no, no, Stern passed them by, but there's a solid And job. some people, it's all about Pee Wee, baby. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I do watch the opening of this movie, and I just I just moved apartments. I'm like setting it up, and I looked at the opening with this house. And I'm like, it's kind of where I want to live. Like I gotta resist the apartment I moved into. Yo, do not flood your apartment with fucking bullshit. The apartment I moved into is like pretty classy and adult and modern. Right, like right. it's got this really nice, like classy bathroom, and mm-hmm. I've been like buying better things because like right, it's that thing my where shitty, it almost like, dollar store like yeah, shampoo like, come on. looks low rent now. Yeah, you gotta I'm, bring the yeah, get yourself some like trace cement. Right, I don't live in an apartment where like the ceiling's collapsing every five seconds. But then I also watched this and I was like, what if I just threw it all out and I had a Rube Goldberg machine that made a Mr. Breakfast face? <sighs> God, I did tape in the bathroom mirror every morning. Um, yeah, we're done. We're done. I mean, anything else to say? Anything we else don't to need say? to go longer. Let's end it. I think we should go longer. Oh, no, <laughs> come on. What Just what wrap is longer? Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Let's do some, let's do some pickups, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Next week's Beetlejuice. It's good. Oh, God, I can't wait for Beetlejuice. You're going to talk so much about Beetlejuice. Yeah. You, that, What's the one you're going to go on the most about? What's your RoboCop? What's my RoboCop? It's Batman Returns, isn't it? Uh, maybe, although, I mean, I, Ed Wood is my favorite movie. Mine too. Yeah. Ed, Ed Wood isn't firmly in my top 10 of all time. Sure. Beetlejuice Great might movie. be the one where I go off. It's right. Beetlejuice, not to like front load this, although we'll see what happens at the end of all the revisits. Beetlejuice, Batman Returns, and Ed Wood represent like the three things I like him doing. Right. The three modes, I, I feel. That. And the best of each mode. Uh, we got some good guests coming up. Yeah, let's say who's on the next episode, right? Sure. We got it locked in? Yeah, we got Becca locked in. Our buddy Rebecca Bolness. Yeah, she rules. Host of Classroom Crush. That's right. We can't give too much away, but this is a pretty stacked. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm saying, we got some big guests. We got a couple big guests. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe they all cancel on us, but we've already recorded at least a couple good guests. Yeah, which is you know to you know not to shock the audience, but we're doing it out of orders. Yeah, but we got a couple luminaries of the podcast world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We got we got award winners. Uh, sure, we do. Yeah, we do. Okay, we do. I don't want to say which award because then people might start to draw conclusions. Right. We got someone no who bell. won a major acting award. Yes. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes. Oh, I'm very excited for that one. Yeah. I'm like the most excited for that one. Yeah. Though I realize, and we'll talk about it afterwards. You folks have guessed it. Monique is doing <laughs> Mrs. Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Lee Montgomery for our theme song. And for Gudo for our social media. Joe Bone and Pat Reynolds for our artwork. Uh, thank you to... Uh, I don't know, uh, my parents. Okay. I forgot that there wasn't another one. Go to right. Public for some real nerdy merch. Go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit. Yep. And as always, here we fuck. <laughs>